Hey, Chris. Hey, you got me? Yeah. All right, cool. I'm just looking, wondering when my, my my laptop is ancient, so it doesn't owe me a dime. But um, all of a sudden, I wanted to look up a definition, and all of a sudden, my the fan kicks on. It's like, oh, the, I oh well, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Like, <laughs> easy now. Yeah. But cool. How's your day going, man? Mm. All good. For some reason, busy. I have no idea. No idea why, but uh, busy. Um, yeah, <laughs> good, how about you? How about you, man? Good, yeah, good busy or just just shit busy. Yeah, no, it. You know, uh, it. No, it's in a in a good way. Um, we homeschool our kids, and uh, that's like a that's like a whole you know a whole a whole challenge in its own right, just in terms of like right. you know managing that process. And we're new to it, we're fairly new to it too, so it's just like figuring all that out. You know, kind of like the. You know, my and my wife's real active and all of that also. So it's like, you know, figuring out I'm I'm sure you have the same deal like working at home. It's like when you, you know, when to block out times for this and that and whatever else. Everything right. everything kind of mixes together, you know what I mean? Well but no, good on you that the good on you that the kids take priority. You know, I mean, as far as, as an education standpoint and, and being able to, you know, rather than just putting them as a secondary concern. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean it's uh and I mean, you could cut this off or whatever off the podcast, but it, dude, it's hard, man. I, you don't have kids, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. It, no, you know, all it, mine are four legged. So, yeah, I got gotcha. you. It's it's hard. Um, I'm sure you know. I'm I'm sure you probably can. You can probably figure out why we homeschool them or whatever. Just more than anything, just like you want your kids to be like indoctrinated nowadays, you know? Right. Um, but it sucks because it is. You know, I, I mean, we like spending time with our kids, don't get me wrong, but it, it it's like an additional family cost that you have to kind of deal with from a time perspective. Um, it's really an unfortunate thing, you know, or, or, it's not unfortunate to homeschool your kids. I, I enjoy the time with them, but it's unfortunate that you kind of have to, if you're, you know, if you have a, if you, if you think like I do, that they're basically getting indoctrinated at school, right. public school. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it again, we go back to that fundamental, like what I've been saying all this long is value sets, you know, I mean, value. So you came off of a period of time where, I mean, obviously guiding and outfitting has, has a massive amount of responsibilities as well, but I can imagine there was probably, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to throw mine in there when I'm, when I was packing or, or hunting and, and guiding and that type of stuff, there's a component of it where it's not really work. You know what I mean? It's right, like, sure. it's like play. Like, this is what I love to do. And this is my passion. Even right now with my habitat stuff that I'm doing here in, in Kansas, I, I made in, I don't, in there, there's, there's a, I don't know who said it, but basically um, it's been going around on the internet now that, you know, um, you know, for those people that, that never figured out what they wanted to do in life and, and can just go through life and just get a job here or take that opportunity there and go over here and do this and that, that that's, you know, that's a blessing actually back, back when you were younger and your parents were looking at you, like you you need to figure out what you want to do and you need to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Having that freedom and that, I don't know if it's neuroplasticity or just a, 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 a 
a personality trait or whatever, but having that flexibility and easygoingness to where you can just do what that's my wife. She, it doesn't matter. She, she'll get something in her head and she'll want to do it and she'll just chase it with everything. And then she's there for a little bit. And then the next thing happens and the next thing, and she excels at all of them and she could turn any, all of them into money. You know what I mean? She's just yeah, that yeah. type of person. Whereas me, I knew since I was 14, what I wanted to do in my life. Like I, yeah, I'm, I, this is what I'm. This is who I am. This is what defines me. And that you know, wildlife in out, in, you know, just wildlife biology, man, and more. So on the management side, this is this is what this is my life. This is what defines me. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. To where, in a way, it's a curse because sure. being trying to be flexible in a changing environment for me is extreme. Like, you know when tough times get tough or whatever. And they're like, Oh, well, you just need to go get another job. I've worked like in my college days, I worked three plus jobs, yeah, you know, yeah. just to pay bills. And now I'm, I'm looking at me, man, for me to just ditch what I, what I'm passionate about and go do something else. Just, just dig my grave right now because it, I, I just, it, it just, it won't be me. And I, and I just, I just can't, that's just not who I am. Oh, so, yeah when you're talking about you guys, you had your career, you, you had your, your business, your packing and outfitting and everything. And yes, there's, there's work involved. Yes. There's stress involved, but man, it's a fun lifestyle. Like, I mean, it sure. going up and spending time in the mountains and all that type is, is just is rewarding in itself. And now when you're sitting there going, okay, I've got little ones and now they need to be in school. I know my value set and I know that I want my children to have the ability to critically think. I want, I know that I want my children to have a value of, of self-reliance and, and having the ability to, well, just function in this world, being self-reliant and autonomous and not just be brainwashed. Yeah. You're talking about, I mean, obviously, you know, I, some parents are like this, some parents are, but I mean, as soon as you decide to have kids, I mean, that's a, a minimum 18 year commitment of, Okay. Yeah. Here we go. This is my job now for the next, let's just say 20 years. Here's my yeah, job, sure. you know, and especially jumping around. I mean, it gives you the freedom to go where, like what you guys are doing. You you can jump to Puerto Rico, you can jump back to Colorado, or you can go jump wherever and you can take that schooling with you. That That's a beautiful thing about life, you know, today and, and the internet, but you're right. I mean, you're talking about a block of time every day now that is, Oh yeah. That that's your, that's your job now, a, a chunk of it. And and that yeah. job ain't making you money. That 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 <laughs> job that job is your investment into the future of your kids. So, um, no, I I hear you. I've got so I've I've got family and I've got uh, we have some friends that that have gone down the homeschool route and have done very very well. And I'm sure you know now that I mean there's a massive. I mean what it used to be ten years ago, let alone fifteen plus years ago, the resources that are available to you guys now is just incredible. Oh yeah. 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 And it sure seems like there's more and more people doing it. And, there, and there's like a bunch of different approaches that people, people can take too. So yeah. And it's like anything you gotta, you gotta get up the learning curve on it, you know, but, uh, but yeah, man, that's part of the reason I've been busy. <laughs> good. Well, no, good for you. I <laughs> know. No complaints at all, man. Uh, um, and, and how old so, are your kids? I've got a 10 year old, eight year old and five year old. Oh man. So yeah. 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 This Okay, so you are, you're talking about those critical formative years of setting them up to how they're going to critically think and thought process as they enter into those teen years and really start to figure out who they, who they themselves are. So, no, A, oh, yeah. 
massive that's going to be a massive undertaking but kudos to you man kudos to you because sure. i think you're gonna i think you'll end up quickly seeing the benefit of being able to have children that you can literally feed off of like engage in in intellectual ideas you know what i mean oh, like yeah, actually sure. have real conversation that's one thing that i've seen with with some of my friends that have done it is you you engage the children and it all depends on how they're done how the how the homeschooling is done but as long, especially if the if the kids can get a homeschooling environment, but also can get a social environment where they're out with other kids, figuring yeah, yeah. themselves out with other kids. But just the conversations you can have, wildly different from from yeah, yeah. from the homeschool side versus the uh, they you know just the, the regular school side. So, sure, yeah, I yeah, and it's it's funny, man, because I I mean I can think about it for ages because I grew up like a like probably, you know, really normal for my generation. Like both my parents worked their ass off all the time and they were like never around. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? To be right. honest with you, like me and my brothers, like basically raised our, so I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way towards my parents, but they were just working all the time, both of them, you know, and they didn't get home till six or seven at night. So it's, it's interesting. I'm like, oh yeah, like I don't, the, there's this huge benefit of always getting to spend time with my kids, which is like, I realize it kind of makes me reflect on my time when I was like 10 and I never hardly saw my dad, you know? And it's kind of, it's like a, it's a little bit of a bummer. It's like, Oh yeah. But it also makes me appreciate the fact that I can like spend time with him. You right. know, where, whereas he, he, you know, he was just, he was grinding away at, at work and stuff, working on stuff that worked out for him, but it's just, everybody has times. And I go through seasons, man. Like I'm sure, you know, I'm sure sometime in the near future, I'll be back to, you know, you just start focusing on something and then, you know, you don't have as much time for that kind of stuff. So I'm appreciating it while I, while I can, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's but, it, well, the fact that I've got landowners, friends that are coming back. So we spent Thanksgiving with them. <clears throat> They're the ones that own property here that I manage their ground, but they're working now, uh, both. Well, anyway, they moved to Hawaii and oh, okay. um, massive fun. I mean, they, they were living up in winter park area or, uh, winter park. Anyway, they were living in the mountains, uh, yeah, yeah. or, or, uh, Granby grand Lake area, that, that type of area. So anyway, um, so the mountains of Colorado, like bitter, cold snow, everything. And now they're, they're in Hawaii. So like massive wild oh, yeah. culture shift. Um, but we were talking about, you know, when, when they left at Thanksgiving, you know, it was kind of teary eyed goodbye. Cause I mean, it was like, geez, when are the, when are we going to see you again? You know, like what, you know, Oh, we'll be out at period. I mean, okay, that's fine. But it's not like every other weekend we're seeing and keeping up and you know, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. well here they're coming out, uh, for this weekend, um, spend time with the family and the kids and everything, do some shed hunting and all that type of stuff. And, and I sat there and I'm like, it's seen. It was Thanksgiving, like five minutes ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's 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 gone that fast. Oh yeah, yeah it's, time yeah. flies by, man. It does. And so you're you're looking ahead at your at your what you're the the road you're embarking on now. You look down it and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like holy hell, this is going to be massive, dude. You're in about five minutes. You're going to be looking back on the last five years and go, what that? Where did the hell did that freaking go? Oh yeah. Yeah, I already feel like that's the case. I'm, I don't know how I don't know how you feel about it, but it seems oh, like yeah. things things jam jam by, you know. So, yeah, it go. I guess it goes fast, faster and faster. It's exponential, you know. As you get older, every year is a is a smaller percentage of your life, and so it seems to go by faster yeah, and yeah. faster. And sure. 
So did you, so what was the, did you get any feedback from our last little discussion? Obviously. So uh, I, I, and I will, I'll do the introduction here in a minute, but um, yeah, you know, so we had that, we released it on Monday. I got a, I got some good feedback. Did you guys, did you get any feedback? Or yeah, did- I got some, I got some positive, some positive comments. Not, not a, not a ton. And, and uh, I was going to tell you, uh, Chris, I, I, Chris, are you going to cut all this off? Maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So the problem is, is some of the, this is how you get going. So some of it's, I mean, some of it's relevant. We just keep the. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't. It's all because good. This is the I, thing. I just, this okay, is the ahead. thing. When we started last time, we started down this road and you're like, all right, yeah, I want to you know, put a pin in that because I want to circle back to it. And we never did. So that's yeah, part of what it. I want to do here. So let, let's just, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good. Keep going, man. Keep going. Well, I just didn't want to bore you with some stuff. I need, cause I will, uh, I'll get our other episode up on Jay's podcast too. I just needed to do a little, a little editing. Um, yeah. uh, it, so it's all, all good, but I'll, I'll, I'll get that up. Um, yeah. Yeah. What did you, what'd you, what, what, what was the feedback you got? I mean, I, I, I mean, honestly, I got, uh, you know, I, I haven't been watching Instagram all that much, but I got half a dozen kind of positive, just like thumbs up type of things on right. Instagram. But did, did anybody mention anything particular we talked about that was of interest? Yeah, they, they, that? they, uh, they want to rope you in on, on the, uh, on the ground boots on the ground activity. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, you, you know what? <laughs> it, it's, it, it's funny. Um, Chris, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. Here, here's my concern about getting, you know, really politically active, it, you know, or whatever you would call this, like active on an issue is I've become very sensitive to having like a lot of negativity around me. And it's weird because I, and I, I think you, you might share this, like this stuff's addicting to getting these, these, uh, um, these conversations about, you know, you know, why people think this way, you know, who, who are the winners, who are the losers, what are the incentives of everybody, why this stuff is going on. I find the conversations addicting, but at the same time, I find like the actual like bureaucracy and gridlock of it to be like very negative. And um, that's something that like if I was going to ever get like really involved in one of these issues, I have to get like mentally ready, ready for that just so you know, it can become, it can engulf your whole life when you get, when you get into the weeds on one of these things. So you have to be like ready for it. You know what I mean? Brother, this is why I hit record. And this is why I put these things in the frame. Stop talking a moment. I'm going to do the introduction and we are going to pick off. <laughs> we are going to start. We're, we're Okay. Hold on a minute. Let's just hold on. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right. So today we are back with Cliff Gray uh, for part two of our discussion. And there wasn't even a scheduled part two. Like we had a good conversation <laughs> on, on the first go and um, we said, yeah, let's, let's do this again. So here we are on, what is it? It's March 8th, Wednesday, March 8th. And uh, we're going to, and quite honestly, I didn't even have it. I've got a couple notes uh, that I wanted to just kind of bounce off of you. I asked Cliff to bring a couple of his notes on what he wanted to talk about, but quite honestly, we're just going to let this be a free form kind of discussion because what we just talked about here a minute ago is the fact that you down in uh, Puerto Rico, when we started, we had talked about that overlap of fishing and maybe hunting and the, the you know, the, the, the personalities and just, and there were some things there that we could have gone down the road on and we just never got back to it. And so I, I wanted to do that now, but dude, sure. you just, you just like, you just nailed a, like a perfect entrance 
into a discussion that I that I've just been having with a handful of guys, and they're mostly guys. I haven't heard much from from ladies on this topic, but the number of people that are getting frustrated with what's going on politically, and it doesn't necessarily. I mean, I, I'm really I'm getting more and more much to my wife's chagrin because um, <laughs> it's not because it's not making me any money, and it's just it's just pulling me away from what I should be doing. Um, yeah, and that's real. That's relevant too, man. Oh, huge! And so, yeah, yeah. The discussions I'm having with folks in Colorado that are really now waking up to what's going on and now going, oh, sh- like what the hell have we done? Like, why haven't we been? Mo- why, why haven't we been doing more? What you know, blah 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 blah. Well, the same thing goes for the people in Washington State or Oregon or. Uh, any any Western public land state right now, it seems like it's just getting crazy. New Mexico's got some stuff going on, um, and then Colorado's not just about the wolf issue. They've got gun bills being petitioned, you know, put forth. It's it seems to be this mass frenzy of in these these past couple of years, especially this year, this mass frenzy of what I would say whether you want to talk about anti-consumptive use lifestyle sentiment or this anti you know whether it's guns or second amendment type there's our way of life as sportsmen independent self-sustaining type people is under attack and number one people are are frustrated that they're under attack so hard right now and and they're frustrated that they don't understand why but then it's like okay so we can have a conversation of of why it's happening right now and it and if from a progressive ideological standpoint, it makes absolute sense. But we could talk about why, but then the other question is, okay, then what do we do about it? And so I've been having conversations with with folks about the what to do about it side. And there's a lot of folks that are just pissed off, frustrated, like no one's stepping up. No one's doing it that I, I'm, well, I had one conversation. I'm not going to name his name, but you know, he's like, I'm, I'm about ready to just quit my job. And just dive all in on on this advocacy stuff and, and activism, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hold the phone. Like, pump the brakes. And pump the brakes because of what you just said. The mental cost and the emotional cost that comes with hardcore political engagement. Right. And not everyone is cut out for that. And not everyone has the personality that can support it. Because quite honestly, the reason why you you look at the animal activists and you look at the progressive ideology where there's so there's so many people that are, it's their life, they feed off of it. They, I mean, the, the lobbyists and the and the attorneys and the activists and everything. You have to understand, again, I've, and you've probably heard me say this, you know, there's two types of people in this world. Those that wish to be left alone and those that refuse to. Those that refuse to are the people that have that progressive mindset that where I know better and I'm more enlightened, everyone just needs to get out of my way and I can make things better for everyone. And they have this proclivity where, and oftentimes their personality is such where they actually feed off of that energy. And oftentimes it's highly negative energy, but their personality feeds off that energy. And if you go spend time at a Capitol building and you start to get to know people, I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that they're negative people, 
Right. You can be, you can find a lot of happy go lucky people or not happy go lucky, but very positive, upbeat people, but their person, all their personalities are, are very similar. Many of them are very similar in the fact that they thrive off of that. And sure, sure. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you nailed it. It, it can be addicting. And I, and I was addicted to it back in Colorado for, uh, for a stretch of, uh, of my time, but you're not joking in the fact that it can get negative and it, and it can take an emotional and uh, family toll on just your in, entire person, especially if you're the type of person who ha, your brain is hardwired and your personality is more hardwired to be that person who, quote unquote, just wants to be left alone. It, it's it's not it's not it's not easy waters to wade into. This is why we don't have a lot of people on our quote unquote ideological side of the spectrum going down there beating their fists at the state capitol. And so right. no, you're 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 right, man. I mean, you're you're right. I, I think you have the now I think you have the mental capacity and the critical thinking and the and I think the humility too to and the life experience to bring some good conversations to the table which is why i'm talking with you and i i want to continue talking with you but you're smart in the fact that you've identified the fact right off the bat the amount of emotional work it's going to take and how much away from your family this is going to take and the amount of of scrutiny and negative influence on you that's that's not anything to be taken lightly right right yeah i mean i think anybody that you know that like anybody's that in this type of, you know, or chooses to take on these issues or, you know, go down that path that they're exposed to that. Do, do you think though, and this is outside of the discussion of me personally, um, you know, being an advocate potentially or something like that, but um, just in general, do you think part of it is also Chris, just functionally that a lot of these groups, you know, be it the wolf advocates or other, other environmentalist groups or whatever, they have people that are paid and make a living doing it i mean to me that's a big difference man if you have somebody who's trying to run their business do other things and do this it's just a brain you know you can only take so much you know what i call brain damage in your day-to-day life and if it's just focusing on these issues and you know you know doing that you know that fight is what you work on day to day and you're paid to do that that's a lot different than if you if you're trying to you know, juggle it with a bunch of other things. And to me, I, you know, I, I may be naive to it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of people on the, on the sportsman side or the consumptive use side or, or whatever, that that's the only thing that they do. Like they're just paid to do that. Am I, am I correct on that front? hundred percent. And, and, yeah. and that's, and that's literally what I, you know, some of the previous conversations on here and then pr- the conversation, private conversations I had is, you know, that when I was down at the Capitol, it it was it was for my personality as an extrovert, it 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 worked. I mean, it fed. I, I enjoyed that yeah, level yeah. of intellectual engagement. But I was down at the Capitol. There was, I mean, literally, I was I was involved with a, a meeting or some level of advocacy or some pretty much every week, and sometimes multiple week or multiple times a week. Not getting paid, and so yeah, our other business was was cranking and doing well. But I, I can tell you right now, the amount of marital stress that put on my family unit between my wife and I, she's like, 
it's all, everything I'm doing is out of my pocket. So all my drive time, all the wear and tear, all of me yeah. going down there, paying for the parking, all the, that's all on my time. And it means I'm not working in the field. She's got to pick up the slack. Right. At some point, something's got to give. And this is why I made the argument. I, I think the, the time for hobby slash recreation advocacy on this, on behalf of sportsmen has to be done because we're not moving the needle the way the way that the 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 progressive ideology is simply because they it is it's a cause for them they have paid, paid lobbyists they have paid attorneys they have these these people this is their sure. life and it becomes their job and you know now we're finding out that yes colorado does the sportsmen have coalesced around a group they've, they've hired a lobbyist um, i hope they do well with that but even they on some of these discussions realize you've got the lobbyist side but that's only going to engage maybe the legislative side of things. But we have a PR side, a a marketing side, like messaging and all. I mean, like there's massive in infrastructure that the progressive side of the um, machine, if you will, has that that sportsmen just do not have. And I and I don't think we yeah. can keep up with this discussion if it stays in the realm of little. What you're talking about right there is this part-time advocacy where I've got a real job and then I'm going to also go do this. No, it's yeah. I, I mean, it's got to be a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think actually uh, I've just like following your social media. I think you've probably used this analogy before Chris, but you, it's like, if you, if you're a professional sports team and you're going against like people who are hobbyists, it's not, you know, they train every day you're doing You're, you know, you're going and playing soccer once a week. If you go play a team like that, it's problematic. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's obvious that you're going to have, have that situation. Um, and I think it's the whole industry, you know, you touched on it the light and it's one thing I wanted to talk about on, uh, you know, you know, having another conversation with you is I, you know, we always hear about like the science in wildlife, like let's manage wildlife on the science. Right. One thing I've noticed in this, there's, this is not just obviously in wildlife, but it's for sure occurring is all the science. It's like, there's a war with science now, right? Like everybody's, I don't know, you know, I don't know how the funding mechanism works, but it's very clear to me that we can all manage on the science, but there's still this internal war of like a certain type of science is getting funded and maybe a certain other type of science is not getting funded as much. Am I making that up or is that pretty prevalent in the wildlife? No, and it, and it doesn't even. I don't even think it necessarily has to be tied to funding per se. I think it has to tie be tied to also intrinsic bias on the the yeah. individual that's conducting the research. Because some of these universities, you know, that are you know universities that are conducting some of these things and they're using master students or PhD students and that type of stuff. You know, right. the students are bringing in money and they're and they're fundraising and they're and they're getting you know grants and that type of stuff to run these studies, but depending on the proclivity of the advisor or the, the advising professor or the student or the, the faculty that's going to be reviewing that type of, of, um, you know, and, you know, scholastic endeavor, academic endeavor, there's, right. there's right off the bat there. And then some of these peer reviewed and I, and I say peer reviewed air quotes. I don't mean that. How do I, there, let me rephrase it. They are peer reviewed. But some of these papers are peer reviewing the paper. Okay, so I'm sorry. For those that are unfamiliar with what peer review means, 
let's say Cliff and I want to go investigate some elk behavior thingamajiggy. All right. So Cliff and I are going to be the, we're, we're going to embark on this, this, uh, let's say observational uh, study on elk behavior. We spend three years looking at XYZ. We do a, just a ton of, you know, literature review and that type of stuff. And, and we come up with our idea of what, you know, XYZ behavior is, but both of us are wildly biased. Yeah. We have a choice on where we want to publish our findings. Now, if we are members of say like the wildlife society or the society for memology or whatever, we can be members of different professional societies, organizations that have their journals. Okay. Yeah. Each one of them is going to have a different level of standard for for what gets accepted into their journal and what they ex- accept as published. Yeah. So, for instance, when Kelly and I, uh, oh, so anyway, to can you do this? We, Cliff and I, could have our bias, and we can we could generate our paper. But every society is going to have a different threshold on what they accept as a legitimate discussion and a legitimate finding where you and I, Cliff and I may not be able to meet the, the stringent requirements of say the journal for wildlife management under the, the wildlife society, but we might be able to get it in the, the, you know, wildlife monographs or wildlife society bulletin or something like that, a lesser level, or quite honestly, we might need to go to a different area, uh, ecology today or maybe we'll do you know what what western midlands natural what you've got all these different right. tiers of of levels so sure but what's i think what's one thing in and in dig into this chris what's interesting is you probably know the tiers because you're in the business or you're in the science everybody outside i don't think recognizes there's tears and i noticed this is used as a as a tactic not necessarily on the wolf thing just in general for like science related uh wildlife management things is if it gets published then then it's like it can be people just call it oh this is the science well i don't know like there's no i don't have any idea of the tears underneath and i i think this is actually used quite often as a tactic on these issues and uh, it's just, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I think oh. that what you're describing, man, most, most people, and particularly if media picks up studies, um, they never, you know, they, if it's published, it's published. It has nothing, right. to, they don't say like, oh, you know, really from like this, you know, arcane, you know, pu- you know, uh, right. Right. group published it. They just say it's published science. You right. Know? Yep. And, and, and peer reviewed. So, so yeah. again, peer review means peer. What is a peer? It's, it's your, your, your counterpart, your, yeah. your equal on the landscape. So when I send that publication in, they're going to set whatever publication it is, they will send it out to their own members that, that are, have offered to peer review stuff. And those other members that are outside of Cliff and I on this, this observational thing, they will read our paper and they will provide input. And, it, some of them, some of the peer review is like, oh, well, I would have changed this sentence here. I would have added this punctuation here. I would have cleaned up this here. Like, it's just, it's just like editing. Yeah. Sure. Other peer review is like, hold on a minute. 
your sample size says this, but then you went and did this and then you collared here. How did you get around the, 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 you know, how did you, you know, like your major assumption was here. You violated the assumptions here, yeah, but yeah. How, like they get into it and rip you apart because what are they looking yeah. at? They're looking at what, what did you do? How did you do it? What, or what did you want to do? Okay. How did you go about doing it? And then what are you claiming you found? And right. sometimes people make what, I mean, I, even, and I'm not a statistician. I hate statistics. I, that's why sure. I didn't go into the quote unquote biology <laughs> side, modeling side of things. I, I love yeah. the habitat side. It you get into math and statistics. You know that you know facts are pesky. Statistics are pliable, right? Yeah. People can can pull statistics eight ways from Sunday and and interpret those statistics some one way or data a way, and then make a conclusion that's even wildly more liberal than you know or right. or or. So all of this stuff happens. So when you hear someone say peer reviewed, again, where did it get published and what was the significance of that publication? Like one right. of our papers was published in, I think it was Wildlife Society Bulletin, which is pretty darn good. Another paper that we did on relocate translocation techniques for blacktail prairie dogs and, and establishing them on site, it did not get picked up by the Wildlife Society folks, but it picked up by Midland Natural, a, a lesser publication still yeah, I got you. brought it still had a lot of, of views and, and a lot of uh, applicability but we because our stuff wasn't is statistically rigorous it wasn't put in these highly rigorous journals that's why right. you'll hear people talk about you know the journal science or the journal nature you know you get yeah. something in the past and we can even talk about nowadays in the past you get something you know published in in nature Oh shit. Like you, that was like, that's groundbreaking. That's some, yeah, like, like shit. that means yeah, like the gold standard of statistical rigor, like you for right. sure showed causation, all, all of that stuff. And, and, and it's so interesting because I was, I've actually gone through like a lot of these wolf studies. And uh, I mean, even one, I think, I think that you alluded to like the one on CWD, yep. you know, like they, they yep. they're claiming that there's a potential, that wolves could slow down CWD, which I, I don't have a bias on it. Like, it seems like a rational thing. Like, yes, that there's plausibility. The yes. There's plausibility yeah. there. Yep. But if you look at the study, I don't have the name of it right now, Chris, but if you look at the study that they point to, it's, I mean, the way all the media shows it, cause it got picked up by a bunch of mainstream media, like, Oh, like, you know, this wolves could slow down the zombie disease, or, you know, like it's, it's got like the, the clickbait headlines around it. But when you go look at that study, so I think the perception outside in my perception of when I heard that is like, oh, somebody must have in a CWD positive where there was wolves, you know, they went out, you know, they, they collared some, they, they were in the field testing this. But when you go look at the study, it's a model study, right? Right. right. And, and I'm not, and, and, and and so, so you can, you can, we can dig into that more, like what that means. But I just think there's like this huge marketing gap. I think even the wolf advocates that are using that study, they actually think that it's a study that was done on real animals. It, it's, right. it's not, right? you know, and so just, just big gaps like that. And I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying the conclusions are wrong, but I'm saying that the conclusions that they come to you for sure gotta like have the right frame to consider them and like back to my original question you have to view this as like look they're at least you know that like the other side is not putting out a lot of science what i would call like 
it, it's like science that's really more like like decent hypothesis. It, that's really what to me that is like yeah, they have a rational hypothesis. Yeah. yeah, they have a rational hypothesis, and they've used a you know a, a you know a po- population predator prey model to to show that that's a plausible answer, and so that's all it is. Why you know there 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 could be other science coming from the other side that could compete with that pretty darn easily, and it, and it doesn't exist. You know what yeah, I mean, Chris? I, I do, and and to cl- even or further clarify it no they're they're what they set up was the baseline of what's what actual study should then occur you got a hypothesis we've run the models we believe it has merit now what should occur is some sort of on the ground or or clinical or whatever comparison control treatment where we're not going to do anything over here and watch. And then we're going to go do some stuff over here and see if there's a difference. Like you set up, right. That you set up the premise. What should happen is a test of that premise with some sort of scientific method rigor. But what you're, but you're absolutely correct on what you're talking about is the fact that many of these people are setting up the, the, the initial parameters for the initial test. And that's where they stop. They publish that test. They publish that. Yeah. Well, and they and they they get the media hit off of that's it. right already. So why do they need to do the study if the media is already putting it out that hey, wolves slow down CWD? That's they don't right. need to do the study. <laughs> like they, they're quite like, honestly, this is you know. And quite honestly, it would, might even be in their best interest not to test their theory because yeah, quite yeah. honestly, yeah, they, it might come back as bullshit. And then what? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, or just they just can't prove it. Correct. Enough can, correct. Or whatever. And that's the thing is, yeah. you're better off having these these plausible deniability. This is what I talk about with my stuff all the time with the elk stuff. It's like, listen, this is all observational. What what I teach and what I what I share with my elk vocalizations communication and and what I you'll see on the landscape, it, it's an observational study. That's it. It, it and it's very sure, difficult sure. for uh you know it, this is the thing that plagues. Uh, behavioral ecology anyways, because it's very difficult to do a control treatment type of deal. All you have to do is go out and watch repeated, 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 repeated. And what have I said before? For those that are listening and follow me, there are going to be those that put out this hypothesis, this idea, this premise, this opinion. And then what are they going to do? It diverges. Those that have a solid scientific integrity uh, uh scientific method mindset to where they want the integrity of truth to come out what they will do is take that opinion and then they will seek to do everything they can do to disprove the opinion can i sure. can i find something that invalidates this hypothesis invalidates or destroys this idea the other half of the equation though the other people they will go out and they will try to find every bit of evidence that supports their idea. Those are not the same because you could find a million pieces of evidence that seem to support your claim. But if you find one thing that absolutely destroys it and proves that it's wrong, it destroys all 1 million of those pieces of evidence that said, but meanwhile, 
and vice versa is that the same thing is you could have that one piece of evidence that says, no, this is not true. It doesn't matter how many other anecdotal things I find. Well, I think it does make it true. No, yeah, yeah. this shows you it's not true. So this is where the two diverge. So when you look at some of the activism and advocacy groups, no, you've nailed it. They will grab onto anything that they that sounds like it's going to meet their agenda and that they can market and they can put forth in front of the public eye. Again, we we talked about, you know, um, it's pointless to argue facts and logic to those people that have no value for facts and logic, right? Sure. Well, the bottom line, though, is, is if you can pull in facts and logic that support your emotional stance, it elevates your emotional stance to more of a, a moral high ground or or reality. Yeah, and that's that's what they're doing. And, and 100%. They, I mean, I, I will. So that's for sure one of their tactics that, that I, I noticed. And all, you know, I also believe that that, you know, the hunting community and the wildlife management community in general has, has been a little guilty of that on way on their own topics, too. Yep. You know, I mean, you know, I so I, I don't think I don't think it's just like the wolf advocates or, or, you know, that are doing this. I think I always felt that like a lot of wildlife scientists and you can correct correct me because it's so hard to do these studies that truly prove causation. I mean, the cost of doing it, the cost of repeating to do it, to see if the results are the same. The fact that it's, you know, it's a wild ecosystem. It's always changing for a bunch of variables that we may not even observe. All this stuff that makes it practically hard to do. Um, I hate to, yeah, I, I hate to say it because I almost feel like using this, like, well, we're going to manage it on science. It's like, ah, like, I, I told I agree with the concept, but it's a little bit wonky because you have to you do have to consider the science a little bit, I guess, is what I'm saying. You you have to be educated on what it actually says. And 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 quite honestly, you need someone out there. And this is my frustration to uh, it. And trust me, I understand if you've been a professional wildlife biologist in an agency for 20, 30 years and you yeah. retire. Most people are going to retire because I'm tired. I want to go spend time with my family, sit on a beach. Yeah, sure. sit on, I, I want to go or or up in the mountains somewhere. I'm just going to retire. I'm going to check out and, and just do my thing. Absolutely yeah. understood. But the people that have the ability to provide context in the world of quote unquote science are those very people that are the people that have lived in that world for the past 20 to 30 years. Sure. We just don't have those people engaging in public discourse, engaging in these type of diet, this these type of discussions, bringing a different perspective to the table. Like, yes, we right, can have right. the discussion of you know the, the the Penn State lab. You know, they went and used their pet dogs to go see if they could detect CWD. That's yeah, a great yeah. first step as far as a hypothesis. Now let's go yeah, and yeah. test that. But how about we have somebody? You know, when they want or or the one that says. Um, that was just published about the wolf pack data. If you shoot a wolf out of a wolf pack, it's going right. to decrease the stability of that pack by 70 some odd percent. Or if you kill, kill a, you know what, you know, that study we we're talking about. Yep. There, there's a lot of, they looked at a lot of things and there's a lot of statistics and there's a lot of it, blah, blah, blah. It gets very confusing and overwhelming for the average person to start chewing through that stuff. It'd be very nice for someone who is an agency biologist or a wild or a biologist who's or a statistician that has gone through that type of stuff to come back and say, 
Uh, actually, folks, don't get yourselves wrapped around the axle on this because the problem is, is here, here, and here, and they violated assumptions here and here. And quite honestly, yeah. that study that they pulled from was not credible in the beginning. So the, you know, bad input, you know, garbage in, garbage out sort of thing. If you if you start off with garbage, you, you can't, like, that's the type of person that needs to be on the landscape to be able to provide some context to these discussions. The problem is, is while those people are employed, especially in Colorado, yeah. especially in Colorado, they're under a gag order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, 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 you, you have to ride the brand for the agency, and it's just like it's just frustrating. Because no, I mean, you, it's funny you said study. I was talking with, with my wife uh, yesterday. We we're coming back from doesn't matter. Talking to my wife yesterday. So part of our uh, oh no, it, it is relevant because this is funny for everybody. So you go to the dentist and you get a, a checkup, right? You want to get your teeth yeah. cleaned. I don't know if it's every dentist's office, but. I, you go to the dentist's office now and you open your mouth, you're laying back there like, all right, well, we need to do your, your oral cancer screening. And literally yeah. they're looking in your mouth and they're like, oh, okay, everything looks fine. Okay. Okay. And well, now we have to do your, your oral, you know, your gum health screening. Okay. But it's like, okay, hold on a minute. It's the same. It's like all the same damn thing. But what you just did is the same visual inspection. You just created a different line item box. <laughs> and you're you're charging so you know to for the cancer screening it's going to be $250 for your gum health is $250 and for your tooth so when they send the bill to the insurance agency it's like right. well there's $250 for that and there's $250 for that and there's 250 it's like no it's the same damn inspection you yeah. did you see anything yes or no moving on and yeah, the yeah, funny yeah. part about it is is it, this happens in what to your point about the study in our wildlife consulting career, part of what we had to do is deal with ESA, Endangered Species Act type of stuff and Migratory Bird Treaty Act type of stuff for development. So if a development is going to come in and they're going to impact a chunk of real estate, they got to make sure that they're not going to have any impacts. Well, when we were doing prairie dog stuff, we're, we're going out and we're going to manage or, or work on this prairie dog colony. In order for us to do the work on the prairie dog colony, we are there sun up to sundown every day of the week. Wildlife doesn't have a nine to five Monday through Friday. Wildlife, they, they, they have no soccer practice. They don't have to go to work. They, they, they're there. I mean, it's 24, seven, seven days a week. Okay. So when we started a project, we were on the ground seven days a week, sun up to sundown and sometimes hanging out at night to make sure everything was, you know, good to go. But During the 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 checkoff on reports of what the the county governments required or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife re, you know required was, we need to make sure there's no you know migratory bird issues and and or more importantly we need to make sure there's not because of their prairie dogs burrowing owls type of small owl is highly associated with prairie dogs they they not necessarily always but highly highly associated with prairie dog colonies we got to make sure that there's no burrowing owls in some of these colonies as well. Well, on the front range of Colorado and these isolated, it, the habitat is not there. Like there's no other piece of habitat that's going to support a burrowing owl at all. But just because the, the prairie dog is there, well, all of a sudden you need to do a burrowing owl. Still got to do it. Yeah. Still got it. Or theoretically. Okay. So what we saw a lot of consultants, we, you know, the, a, a developer would get a hold of us and we were like, well, we need you to do the, the prairie dog management. We're like, all right. Because, you know, and then they would come out they're like, okay, because we're going to have these other people do the burrowing owl study. Yeah. It's like, hold on a minute. You're doing what? Well, we've got this company that's got to come out and do the burrowing owl study. 
Yeah. And then we want you to do the prairie dog stuff. And I, the number, this is why we suck the business people. Cause we would sit there and be like, uh, can we ask you why you're going to pay someone else to do something that we're going to do in the course of our normal activity? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what yeah. are you talking about? Like, we do that all. That's part of what we do. It, part it, of the deal. Yeah. It's, it's, you don't have to pay extra for that. Like, and it's not a study. Yeah. It's a survey. It's three, it, like, it's a very minimal, easy survey. But yeah, why did, yeah. why did companies call it a study? Because a survey is one thing, a study. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. That's bigger. <laughs> and it's Give more involved money. and we've got to do. So guess what? We can charge you a hell of a lot more. If we call it a study and we do it separately, then if we go, we're going to go out there and work on the prairie dog management. And while we're there, we're going to make sure there's no burrowing owls. And and sure. we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and send you a little memo that says, yeah, there's no burrowing owls on the site. Really? You guys could do that? <laughs> like, yeah, you're getting taken over here. You're getting raped and yeah, pillaged yeah. over here. Now, if yeah, someone sure. calls us and says, we need a burrowing owl survey done. I'm like, okay, anything else? Nope. That's all you need. Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, we can go do that. But yeah, if yeah. you're going to do the, the work, like it's so this, this idea of study has also gotten in ingrained in this world, because honestly, it either a makes you more money or it makes it sound like you're doing something a hell of a lot more important than you really are. Yeah. It sounds it, more official. It, yeah, correct. Yeah. And it makes you sound like more of an expert. Well, I conducted these studies. You're like, oh shit, they did it in a study. No, you didn't. You yeah, sat yeah, on yeah. a site for morning and night <laughs> and it, 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 uh, two nights in a morning or two mornings in a night. And you sat there and you watched to see if there was any burrowing owls. Nope. Okay. Moving on. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yep. this is why we need to have some of these professionals engaged in public dialogue because right. the animal activists, uh, it, it, no, I'm not even going to say that. I and mean, you said it the same, some of the sportsman groups are engaged in some of the same behavior where it becomes this progressive endeavor where ends justify the means. I don't like right. what's going on. I'm desperate to stop it or, or, or I want to change. So I'm desperate for an outcome. Positive. Right, I, right. I want an outcome. I don't know how to get there. I'm desperate, but I can look over here and there's a thread that I, I'm going to latch onto that and I'm going to shove it into the uh, the dialogue and be like, oh, see there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let's kind of hold on a minute. Let's, but the problem too is we can have those professionals come to the table. We can have that, but you still have to get the message out. Yeah. And then you have to, you still have to have people pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Right, like right. people have, what I like what I said with the constructive uh notice with the Colorado Revised Statute 332105.8. Everybody was complaining though, well, you know, they didn't say that it was going to be non-game. It was right there in black and white from the beginning. You had to do due diligence. And the, sure. the problem is, is they know people know. No one, no one does due diligence. No right. one. How many right. times do you read iPhone? I just updated my iPhone. It's it made me click on. I had to click on the yeah. the new updated terms and an agreement. You know, terms and conditions. Yeah. Did I and read? You read, you read all of it? No. <laughs> click moving on. Oh, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. What do you mean? It turns on my microphone to where they can. You know, the, you know. I don't know. I'm just hypothetical. Like the World yeah. Health Organization now can listen in on discussions of what's going on, whether or not you're. <laughs> You're compliant with max, you know, anti, you know, or you're masking, and and it's like, wait a minute, what? I didn't, I didn't agree to that. Yeah, you did. 
It was in the yeah. terms. It was in the terms con- in conditions. Like, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. No one, no one wants to pay attention unless it's in a meme or unless it's it's in a soundbite. And and we ha- the sportsman community does it. And quite honestly, we've got organizations out there now. Uh, this is why I've been critical of Sportsman's Alliance. I understand the position they're in, but I've been looking at some of the, you know, I follow them. I support them. I send them money. I still, I'm like, man, some of the stuff that you're putting out there as a, as a click, like as a, here's the headline. Yeah. Like yeah. we need to go rally against this. And then I go read it and I'm like, are we re- <laughs> like, this is what we're fighting about? Like, really? Like, yeah. What? But but you, you got to be relevant. You got to be out there. You got to you got to be sensationalized because otherwise you don't get the click throughs. And if you don't get the click, because everybody gets their news now from social media. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so if you're not playing the algorithm, your message isn't going to get out there. And so it right. just it's just this vicious cycle of just bullshit that just makes everybody dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. You know, it's it's wild though, man. And and to take the cut, not to like just. I mean, we don't have to talk about the wolf thing for the next hour either, uh, Chris, but. I mean, probably probably for 55 minutes of it we are anyway uh, but so the thing that's crazy man about what you just said what i've noticed and it, it, to me this is if i try to look at this whole deal from like a positive light and like okay how, how does somebody look at the whole wolf thing in colorado and think like how do we how do we not let something like this occur in another state or or you know that that sort of train of thought like how did this happen I think the momentum for it, for it all started with that, that YouTube video. Do you know which one I'm talking about? The wolves, uh, wolves change rivers or whatever. Yeah. Go through that. Yep. I know. what you're yeah. Yeah, So, go through so this video, and it's, I don't know who the narrator is, but he's a very recognizable voice. He narrates a lot of, I mean, if you've watched any, you know, uh, nature documentaries or whatever, you've heard this guy's voice. He's a great narrator and they put this video together and what it is, is it's a supposed history of when they introduced wolves in the early 1990s into Yellowstone. Um, and then how that had this, tro- you know, this uh, troph- trophic cascade and improved basically everything, right? It dispersed the elk out of the meadows and then that changed the vegetation and then it resulted in basically overall much healthier ecosystem and and that trickled down to you know these beautiful rivers whatever right so it's it's how wolves change rivers and it's really well done and i can see i've had people send it to me i mean i like i know for a fact it's in in i i've always followed tim ferris the guy who wrote four hour work week i've read his books i think he's very smart you know high highly intellectual guy accomplished a ton but he he's very much pro wolf, and he actually has that video on his on his website for you know back in the day he was I know he was one of the the uh, funders of people going uh, funding the actual ballot initiative uh, signature signature collection. That's the thing that's wild is you know there's like there's like this whole industry of collecting signatures for ballot initiatives, and, and it, to some extent with a bunch with several different variables, there's there's companies out there that essentially know how much money it's going to cost you to get X amount of signatures for your ballot initiative. Like they have it broken down to that. And so this was back in the day, Tim Ferriss was on board on 
funding part of that. And this video was used in that kind of that whole marketing scheme. And I shouldn't call it a scheme, but how they did the marketing for it. And it's a well done video. And if you watch it and you don't have any context, you'll believe it. And the thing about it is like, I, I know, I know the history. Of, I used to be like a, like a nerd about the history of Yellowstone. And, but I'm probably one of the very few that like knows that history for whatever reason. There's probably not people who go read like old articles about Yellowstone. I, I got into it originally, Chris, because, you know, Teddy Roosevelt used to hunt in there and he used to lion hunt in there. I thought that was interesting. So I read all of his old stories about it, whatever. So I know the history. If you watch that video and you know the history of Yellowstone, you know, it's like within 60 seconds of the beginning of the video, it's a total lie. Like they, they literally <laughs> within 60 seconds, they make factual, total factually incorrect, blatant lies in that video. And it's stunning to me that in like the like the primary lie in that video, and they say it like in the first minute is that, you know, I, this is not I'm not verbatim, but basically they say, you know, after several attempts to control the elk population with hunting, they finally had to use wolves. Yeah, right. There was and that's total yeah. that's total lie. Right. Absolute lie. And a matter of fact, there's a ton of history back in the 60s of them trying to get a hunt in Yellowstone because they know it would have solved this problem. And the reason they know it would have solved this problem, ironically, is in the in the late 40s and 50s, the rangers in Yellowstone were killing elk and it was working. They, they were shooting them in the park. See, people don't know that. They were shooting elk in the park. And the other thing they were doing is they were rounding them up and they were using them the entire West. Right. So, so they were, they were highly interventionist in Yellowstone. This, you know, this, you know, they, they, the, the, the truth for sure is that there's massive impact on the range of those elk being in Yellowstone. And you can dive into the depths of that too. Sure. Cause part of that, part of that was, there's probably a lot more elk wintering Yellowstone than they naturally would. Right. Did I lose you, Chris? Just for a second, but keep going. Because sometimes the video, oh, okay. sometimes the video will lock up, but the audio keeps going. So just keep going through it unless I stop you. So, so I, so I'll try not to like get off on on that on that no, side of the history. No, keep. But keep, no, I think it's I, I think it's relevant. I think it's good. So don't keep going on that. And okay, <laughs> yeah, so, no, no. So, what ha- so I don't care where this conversation goes. Let's okay, just yeah, yeah. And I think it's just crazy interesting because. The, the, you have to know the whole history to understand how absurd this video is because so in the 50s and 60s they were shipping elk out of yellowstone to stock all these other states to help them out because the for sure the elk populations were depressed from over hunting market hunting whatever all the things we know about and the park rangers were directly killing elk on the park and then this became this actually became fairly controversial in the early 60s because there was actually, and this is in documented history, the park, the, the people managing the park and the National Park Service in general, they were very afraid of the elk continuing to be habituated to people. They wanted the elk habituated to people in Yellowstone because that was one of the reasons people went to Yellowstone. So they actually stopped the rangers from killing those elk and they fought 
you know, strongly against a hunt inside the park because they knew the minute those elk started getting hunted, they weren't going to be habituated to people. And what were and what would they do? They'd move out of those valleys and they they would they'd quit wintering in Yellowstone unnaturally. There's a bunch of things they were gonna do, which is hilarious to me, because you watch this video right. and, and they say, Oh, we put wolves in there and all this awesome stuff happened. It's like, well, you guys fought them. You yeah. fought them in the 60s directly to stop exactly what you're claiming the wolves did. And I, I'm sure the wolves did do some, you know, some positive things about dispersing the elk and everything else. But it's it's a hilarious, um, you know, video to watch and know, like, within the first minute, it, there's blatant lies. You yeah. know? <laughs> oh. Uh, no, you're absolutely right, and 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 that that <laughs> not not to go, you you just everybody just found out how big of a dork I am about like Yellowstone history. <laughs> That's awesome. Here's the thing: where is the YouTube? And it may exist. And and again, I will I will I will use your terminology. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm naive in this. <laughs> but where is the rebuttal YouTube video that has the same level of pr- production? Right. Same impact of narration that has the same look and feel, and it's about the same length of time. Where's the rebuttal? Right. Does it exist? No. Probably not. And and that's it. So number one, it doesn't even exist. Or or it's it's likely that it does not even exist, which I think number one is problematic. Number two, even if it did exist, it would create, it would require, I think, a greater amount of marketing to get it out, to get people to watch it sure. than it did the original video. And I say that because of, so if you look at the IPCC report, the International Panel on Climate Change, right? All mm-hmm. this stuff that was going on with global warming and all that blah, 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 back in the day. The, the original IPCC report that set the just set this whole climate change thing, you know, activism and, and alarmism into to high gear with gore and everything else was roughly about yay thick. And I'm I'm making about a two inch, inch and a half to two. No, it was about two inches thick. I've got it somewhere. Um about two inches, it's about a two inch thick book. And it, I mean, it's all just here's all the science, here's all the studies, here are all the interpretations, here's what blah blah blah. Uh, the IPCC thing says what it says. And that was used as the Bible for all this climate activism. The beautiful thing was, is there's, you know, there was at the time 30,000 plus climatologists, physicists, and everybody else that also signed on to a document that said, no, this is all this is, it, no, it's it's being bastardized. It's bullshit. It's, it's being misrepresented, misrepresented. Some of the people that were scientists that were, were cited in the original IPCC were the same people that were signing against it saying, no, 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 you used my science and that's not what I said. And that's not what I, you know, I didn't mean that blah, blah. Well, that community ended up producing literally the response to the IPCC report. And it went line by line, page for page of that IPCC report and either confirmed what was said as being true, clarified or qualified some of the questionable stuff, and then went right through and destroyed some of the, scientifically, 
destroyed some sure. of the arguments and say, no, you're wrong here. Wrong. And they per and they even said when they did it, they purposefully made it the same size of a document, the same look, the same feel, the everything. So that way there was no, it, it was just as important. It was just as equal. It was just as impactful. It was, it, there was nothing that anybody could pick apart and say, well, look, you, you, you created this, you know, this 12 inch thick document. Yeah. That's a bunch of bullshit. You're just trying to pad your blah, blah, blah <laughs> versus, and it wasn't also a, a, a 10 page pamphlet. that was like, well, I don't think this is right here. No, yeah. they said, you guys produced this. We will produce the same thing, but from a different perspective so that everybody can go through both documents and look at it apples to apples and people can make up their mind. Were you even aware that there was a response document ever created for the IPCC report? Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's probably never referenced. It's always, oh. but the original so, document constantly referenced. It, and that's the thing is slowly, but surely over time. And, and of course, everybody that's, that rears their ugly head out of that group is labeled a conspiracy theorist or some whack job or blah, 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 blah. But yeah. meanwhile, so over time, slowly, but surely like, oh yeah, what they said is, oh, I see it. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that is true. Okay. Well, there we are. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it slowly comes out, but right. The, but kudos to them for actually going through and doing the rebuttal. When we have, whether it's a, a journal article, whether, and, and quite honestly, I, I, it will be interesting to see over time whether or not there is a rebuttal argument to some of these uh, studies, like or these studies or these papers, like the one about the wolves being hunted and, and the you know what happens with it. Because sometimes in these professional journal articles, other wildlife biologists or, you know, researchers will be looking at stuff and they'll read an art and they're like, what the hell? Yes, it went through peer review. Yes, it was it was accepted for publication. But that oftentimes means it's put out there. This is of, of sufficient quality where we think we can put it out to the professional community. And then what happens? We allow the, prof the broad sure. professional community to either use it and say, oh, this is quality and, and this is something I can put over here in this pile that I can use later. Or they look at it and you go, what the freaking hell are you talking about? That's a bunch, that's freaking bullshit here. And so someone else will, you know, because being published. Yeah, they, have a, they have an idea for a new right. research project. Well, and, and being published is a, is a pretty good feather in your cap as yeah, a yeah, professional. Sure. So even if you're just providing not a, a statistical analysis, but even if you just provide an opinion piece or a response to, you know, and you'll see them in the, in the journal articles or the journal publications, like you'll have multiple, you know, response to response to response. They might get right. 20 responses to one study. And like 19 of those responses are you're full of shit. And here's why. Yeah, yeah. And it just, just like, but okay. So that was good dialogue for the professional community. We'll see what ends up happening with some of these, Yeah, yeah. but but will but but, but will but, but yeah but will that's we, the thing is but will we see it, it who's it, yeah. gonna, who's going to bring that discussion to the table who's yeah, going to yeah. who's going to have the same marketing impetus and and motivation to make sure the public is given the other side right. like we we need this is what we're lacking this is what where we i think we fall short is is from the consumptive use side of the equation i would hope that there are people listening to us and whatever, you know, there it's a different generation now there. It, it's, 
the 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 age of the number of people that that know how to masterfully hand you know do TikTok and Instagram videos and and editing and and the, just the editing software that what you could do on a phone and just like yeah sure and making memes and and like I would hope that if we could get the right people in like engaged in an intellectually honest and in a in a grounded way. Not emotional, but just like, okay, hold on. I'm going to call, I'm going to call bullshit. Here's how I'm going to do it. Or here's why this is credible bullshit. And then I'm, but I'm also going to take that credibility and then I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it. I've got to know, you've got to know who PragerU is, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. PragerU is a perfect example of it because they take complex topics. They boil them down into a no nonsense standpoint. Good, bad, indifferent, ugly, or whatever. Sometimes it's a response. Sometimes it's just factual. But they will take complex issues. They will talk about the facts. They will it, oftentimes, most of the time, from a conservative mindset type of 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 sure. point of view. But they wrap it up into a very concise soundbite that is visually pleasing and engaging and enra- just it, it wraps you into yeah. it. That's it's it's incredible. That's why Prager use is so vilified by the the hard progressive side of the equation because they know Prager use moving the needle on public idea, you know, public opinion on things. We need right. a Prager esque sportsman's. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know, I know exactly what you're getting. I mean, and there's like, uh, I think there's this. So for sure, within the hunting community, fishing community, there's people that have that skill set. The thing is, there's for sure, there's for sure in the overall, you know, talent pool of people who are great at this social media stuff, know how to work the algorithms and all of that. Yeah, for sure, it's tilted the other way. I, I would think that's the case. Um, but there's still a bunch of young folks that are very good at this that right. know how to do it. And it is, I think you pointed out a, uh, an interesting um, point. I, I don't know of anybody that's doing it. You know what I do notice there is, and I don't, I mean, to me, it's just the entertainment value, but within the hunting community, there's a, there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, pages and meme pages and, you know, people just, you know, like shed crazy type of guys who are, you know, they're pretty good at getting exposure in a, in like right. a comedic way. You know right. what I mean? Right. But the, the reality is, they're pretty skilled at what they're doing. Like, you know, I, I watched that right. Ben that shed crazy and he know like what he know, whatever he's, you know, he has a strategy to everything he's doing to get him. So, so there's people like that. And there's, I'm sure there's some out there that could, you know, do this pretty well that you're, that you're talking about, uh, Chris, I, I, but I haven't seen them. So it is interesting. You point yeah. out how, that, that's you the know. thing is it's got to, it has to have, it has to have the, that kind of broad, attractiveness in in yeah if it goes into a reel or if it goes into a tiktok video and it gets put into the algorithm as something to use that 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 meta yeah yeah dude there's this there's this guy it's it i mean it's in a it's in kind of a little bit different world but there's a dairy farmer who does it have you ever seen this guy what's his name what's the no Uh, dude i i wish i knew it off the top of my head but he has an instagram account and he's always making fun of like you know, all the animal rights groups that say like his dairy farm is like, you know, like a torture chamber for dairy cows or whatever. So he's, and he has a huge following and he does a really good job of 
uh, you know, same deal. Like he, right. he knows how to create these very entertaining videos and they show like the other perspective and he does a phenomenal job. I, I'm, I wish I had for the viewers, the, the name of the guy, but he, it, it's, it's kind of analogous because he's coming from a world where there's probably not a ton of people who are like social media experts, but he does a really good job. Like if you right. watch his videos, you'll be like, yeah, I mean, you know, and he's, and he's real factual about it. He's like, yeah, look, like I do, you know, he'll, he'll admit that they're, you know, once cows are out of production, they're going to kill them, you know, and they're going to use yeah. them for hamburger or whatever. Like he'll admit that. But if you watch his videos, you're like, oh yeah, this dairy, this dairy farm is not that bad. Or, right. you know, it, it's just fulfilling a demand that's out there. And, right. and you know, they just go off that. Anyways, he does a good job of the other message that you don't hear that often, you know? Right. Well, all right. I, I have a kind of a segue. Sure. But I don't want to segue if you've got other things that you like. If if there's anything else that you from your notes that are related to that, or is there? No, anything? no, go for it, Chris. Because my stuff is like big segues. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, in my, <laughs> they're going to be like, where the hell did that come from? It's it's not so. a segue. It's like, and then on this topic. Um. Yeah. All right. So okay. Look. Th then let me segue, and then we can go back to because what you talked about, what we what we were just talking about is. We need a better representation in and sorry, I'm thinking. We need a better representation in the public. And and but but here's the problem with that. And I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my head around how I want to articulate this because Steve Ornella and the meat eater, notwithstanding. Uh, what Blood Origins is doing, notwithstanding. Um, we were just talking about our for our culture, if you will, that that not, that that consumptive use mindset, hunting, fishing, trapping, um, and how whether you talk about farming and ranching, that the consumptive use lifestyle. Yeah, we're talking about social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, that type of stuff. Being, you know, using reels and that type of stuff to to message truth, and and I and I don't even mean it from you know my felt truth. You know, I'm I'm talking about from like honest. Here's here's reality. Whether we go from yeah, yeah. the big stuff like here's a scientific journal article and this is what this actually says, or here's a journal article that somebody pulled forward, and here we're gonna rip it apart from that high level stuff. All the way down to just dated, like what you said with the shed crazy day to day type of stuff, where it's like surface level obvious. Like no, yeah, no, no, yeah. it's just funny, but still makes a point. That's the beautiful thing about yeah. some of that comedy and memes. You know, memes can take a massively complex issue and seriously just yeah. go right to the heart of it, boil it down, and just point out a glaring hypocrisy or some yeah. inconsistency that's funny. So we need a better way to message our culture. I think Stephen Steve Ranella and and the Mediator Group guys on YouTube and on TV are doing a phenomenal job. Again, I can have sure. we can we can argue all day long about their political ideologies and some of how yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. but they're yeah, doing but a good overall. They're, they're, po they're positive and they have right. a big they have a huge reach. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. I think I think YouTube pages like, um, uh, Deer Meat for Dinner. 
You know who that guy yeah, is? Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I've, I've actually, I've interviewed him before and he, and he, right. oh, at, that's a, right. I've, You're right. at a personal level, he's like such a positive guy. Dude. He's, he's, he's awesome. And so he's got a great yeah. page. Like, so yeah. those a massive following. And I know that there's got to be a bunch of other YouTube folks out there. So I think we've got oh, yeah. those, but we don't like, like what we're talking about. We, we need a different, and I, I, I will go back to like that PragerU-esque type of very, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a topic of education and we're going to make it interesting. It's going to be factual and we're going to make it interesting and we're going to make it visually engaging to where it just goes like wildfire, wherever we want to put it. Yeah. And and then we talk about the Instagram, but we're talking about this culture, mar- marketing our culture better yeah, and standing up for ourselves better and, and going toe to toe with people that don't value our, our culture better on the public space. Well, I started really thinking about the culture aspect of it when I started looking at, you know, this, so for the wolf issue, um, you know, we look at the 10 J rule. All right. So the U S fish and wildlife service, if the, if the state of Colorado wants to have some flexibility on how they're going to do this wolf reintroduction thing, they need the U S fish and wildlife service to cut them some slack and give them some exemptions under the ESA to allow the state to do certain things to make it a hell of a lot easier for the state. Yeah. Now the state said they're going to do it regardless, whether the U S fish and wildlife service gives them the 10 J rule or not. And regardless of what the, what the forest service and BLM want they're the, the state, state just said, we're just going to freaking do it. Yeah. They're going to do it. Sure. But they applied for a 10 J rule because they would like the benefit of this flexibility. Well, the 10 J rule out there, 10 J, you guys can look up what 10 J is if you if you really want to dive in this this one limited part part of the impact statement that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service needs to look at are potential cultural impacts. And in the past, when you look at cultural impacts, usually that ends up meaning indigenous peoples. Or, and quite honestly, nowadays, and, and you can, whether you agree with it or not agree with it, I'm not, this is not the argument. The fact is, under the Biden administration and under this U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and, and the, the Biden administration guidance under the federal government, now culture is also to include everything from diversity, equity, uh, well, that inclusion side, to where culture now is also disenfranchised peoples, Right. I got you. And typically what's being focused on is minorities, minority skin color, sure. uh, minority community or, or communities that have been disadvantaged, poor communities, indigenous peoples. And that's fine. I, I think that all that needs to go in and needs to be considered on any environmental impact statement. The question comes in is, what level of consideration in that 10J goes to the culture of consumptive use? Even if it's straight white men, I'm sorry, because that's the problem. That's the thing is if you look at the demographics of the consumptive use yeah. community, the vast majority is made up of straight white men. Sorry. Sure. Which now straight white male is the public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. But all, but in this culture, we have a massively growing culture of women in the outdoors. 
And, and I'm not just talking about Instagram influencers that want to put on a bikini and go bow hunt or whatever, because it's going to yeah. get likes. I'm talking about serious and, and not to say that they're not serious. What I guess what I want to qualify as we're talking about women who might be mothers, women who are engaged in community outreach for their community to where it's, I'm going to teach women, they are going to, we're going to be about teaching women to be more self-reliant. We're going to teach women how to have a better connection to the food that they're feeding their family, having a better connection of being able to provide for their families. Like there's a significant growing culture within the sportsman community of women in the outdoors. Is that culture in that 10 J rule? Is there not an opportunity for someone to push back on the U S fish and wildlife? Listen up, folks. Is there an opportunity for people to push back? Women in the outdoor industry, you guys coalesce and push back on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and say, actions that are going to be taken by the state of Colorado are going to negatively impact my culture and you need to address it. Likewise, we have a massively growing segment of Black, Latino, other minority sportsmen out there. I don't know if they're coalesced under a group and I, and I would have never advocated as such. Cause I don't think of, I, I don't think of races being segmented in boxes. Like that's the thing sure, is, sure. you know, this whole thing of racism was we're, we're not supposed to be looking at people of color or different ethnicities or backgrounds who are any different than we are. We're, we're all supposed to be equal, right? Well, society these days has embraced this idea of where, no, 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 black culture needs to carve its little space out of white culture. And Hispanic culture needs to carve its space out of white culture. And women's culture needs to carve its space out of blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if, if we embrace what the, what, and we, maybe we couch that, and I'm not saying it is, but in my mind, maybe it's couched under this kind of woke movement nowadays, right? Well, if our federal government has been, and the culture, man, there you go, the culture of our federal government now, and the directive of our federal government now is to absolutely ingrain that segmenting of cultures and, and, elevating the disenfranchised over the straight white male, blah, 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 blah. If that's what the federal government wants to do, then why can't we say, okay, if that's the game that you want to play, and these are the rules that you've set forth about how to play that stupid, woke diversity, inclusion, equity. I, I like Jordan Peterson's. He changes the words, the letters around. So it spells die rather than D E I like diversity, yeah. equity, inclusion, D E I. He's like, no, no, no diversity, inclusion, equity. That way it's just die. Cause this whole thing just needs <laughs> to die. Like just, it just needs to end. Right. So if, if the federal government is mandated to play this woke quote, quote unquote game, and this federal agency is mandated to accommodate cultures and disenfranchised cultures. Why are there, like, is there not an opportunity for women in the outdoors to coalesce around an, an identity and, and challenge 
not being considered under this 10J rule? Would there not be an, a, an opportunity for black Latinos, what any take what? any minority group and coalesce around one another and then challenge and say, listen, you're you're you are disenfranchising us on the landscape through this action. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, what I mean, yeah, like so so you you know, yeah, I, I get where you're going with it, Chris. In my mind, the more straightforward approach to that, and I'm and I'm actually surprised, and maybe it has occurred, and I'm just not privy to it. But I'm actually surprised that the natives that have a hunting culture that are surrounding these potential, um, you know, transplant areas that they haven't brought that up. Is that any different than what you're talking about? I, I well, I, I mean, I, I get where you're coming. I totally get where you're coming from. But I think the windows, or excuse me, the populations of, uh, of the the demographics you're talking about i i don't i have no idea how big they are i you know i don't know the level of organization and that sort of thing um i'm fairly familiar with the indian tribes and you know and and they they just seem to be like a like why don't they why don't they approach that the exact same way you just described and and so you're talking in my opinion on that though i think you're talking about parallel but different the the thing with with the native american tribes they're sovereign nations yeah, so they're going to do whatever they want on their red. Hundred percent, and yeah. the, and the, and as far as I know, they've already they've already chimed in on this, and they're like, "Hell yeah. no, you're not going to do it on us, and we ain't doing shit for you." Like, yeah, the, uh, yeah. you know, whether the whether the tribe wants to embrace wolves as, as as they come in, or quite honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. Some of the tribes are like, "We'll shoot everyone that steps on our land," yeah, and yeah. And, yeah. and there you go, middle finger to you. So. That's the thing is with when you're talking about indigenous cultures, I think part of that becomes they've got sovereignty yeah, within yeah. their tribe. So, they, yeah, now, if, so they're not know, they're technically not going to be affected because they can deal with the problem however they see fit. Now, with that being said, if you look at the designation of the Camp Hale National Monument that that went in, if you I don't know if you follow that at all. I mean, I'm, I I didn't follow. I know where Camp Hale is. I'm familiar with it. But. Right. So, okay. So here you go. So Camp Hale is like a two square mile, like two and a half square mile little footprint south of Minturn for those people that are yep. listening to this, right? Used to be the home of 10th Mountain, 10th Mountain Division military, uh, U.S. Army. Well, that's been a long Super fun site too, right? Like asbestos just up, site. Just up. Well, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So they had some asbestos there. <laughs> They clean that. They apparently clean that up. But there is another super yeah. fun site right up the road from that. But I got you. so. But here's the thing: is you know the the proponents of the the national monument said, well, we need to preserve uh, the history of the 10th Mountain Division. We need to preserve the 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 the, the Camp Hale site as a natural mon- national monument. Two and a half square miles is one thing. They set aside fifty seven thousand acres. They swallowed up a gigantic chunk of all that mountain range. Oh, okay. From Camp Hale almost all the way over to, to Copper Mountain. I got you. Almost all the way up to the back bowls of Vale. Okay. So yeah, yeah. they swallowed up this entire chunk of, of real estate in in the mountains. Oh, and by the way, they also jumped over I-70 and went to the 10-mile range, completely different mountain range. And swallowed up a massive chunk of the high country up there and said, oh, this is a national monument now, all because of uh, of Camp Hale. Mm. Just because soldiers walked the hills. Yeah. Doesn't mean like, no, 
if you looked at the long-term goals of the animal activists and, and the, those people that would like to start further excluding humans off the landscape, no, this is a massive win for them because they just blocked up with a stroke of the president's pen. They, they, they locked up this 57,000 acres that are now going to be under a different management protocol. Right. Part of that management protocol is going to be concessions to who? Indigenous peoples that oh, used yeah. to migrate through there and used to travel through there, hunt there, and used to trade through there. So now when you look at an EIS, say around Camp Hale, or if you wanted to do a habitat improvement project on a big chunk of Forest Service or BLM, part of that is a cultural thing. What are they looking for? Like in Arizona, you're looking for wiki ups. You're looking for you know, Native American artifacts. Oh, shoot. Here's an old fire ring. There's a whole bunch of pottery. There's also, oh, we need to, you know, don't disturb this area. That's the right, type right. of cultural stuff that they're supposed to be looking at for endangered, endangered, indigenous type people stuff. But when we're talking about, in this case for the wolf thing, it's not that they're impacting some pottery site. The wolves are going to yeah. impact landscape scale hunting and that, well, that's going to impact on, in my opinion, that squarely rests within within the domain of that that um, sovereign nation, and so I think they've already put it in there. I I'm looking yep. at it from a standpoint of I think it I think I, I think a very I think a skilled attorney could make a yeah, very yeah yeah you're I mean you're talking it from like a tactical perspective hundred percent yeah yeah and I and I I get it. Yeah, and it's kind of hard for me to like get my grasp around it because it because I know that these kind of tactics are used all the time. Right. It seems but, so but we it seems so but we don't usually do it. I yeah, mean, that's, yeah, yeah. We we don't usually do it. But I, I, yeah. this is the thing: is I don't like this game. I don't yeah, yeah. like this game. But guess yeah. what? We get pulled into the game. The yeah, you got to play the game. I mean, you got to play. Like, you got to play your way out. You can't yeah. just sit there and be like, nah, I don't like it. Well, if yeah, yeah, I've yeah. used this analogy before. I have a, a, a neighbor of mine uh, raises pigs, hogs. And right on my right to get to my property for my horses, I've got to walk right by one of his hog pens, which is just a slop hole. I mean, he, 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 he I mean, it's literally kept wet and blah, blah, blah. It's just a, a freaking yeah. slop hole of pigs, pig, you know. If all of a sudden one of those pigs reaches out and grabs me and pulls me into that slop hole, I've got two options. I could either lay there and get trampled in the freaking pig shit and mud and yeah. complain the whole time. Yeah. Or I can try to figure and get, get my stand up and slop my way back out of it. If I can get my way out of it, guess what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to wrestle with the pigs and I'm going to have to wrestle in the shit and the slop and everything else. I don't yeah. like it, but I'm going to have to do it if I want to get out of it. Because when I get out of it, then I then and only then do I have the opportunity to clean myself up and not engage in that slop again. But right. if we're going to get pulled into this, we're going to pull get pulled into A, this attack on our culture and our lifestyle. B, we're going to be forced to live under this federal culture of wokeism and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and where we have to carve out exceptions. We can't ignore, disenfranchise yeah, anybody. Okay, then. Let's play your game. Yeah, sure. 
yeah. like right like i yeah i don't you know have to, I, and, and i mean it goes back to like the first thing we talked about because you got to have like people who are experts at doing that yeah They're not a hobby at figuring right. that stuff out there you know and they, there's there's a whole you know whole industry of of I mean, they're all attorneys, you know, that know how to do this stuff. That's yeah, but, all they do. Yeah, but know? where? But okay, but Cliff, where are ours? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You know that, what I mean? I, that's the thing. We it, here's the other thing that frustrates. I, I mean, I personally think it's an economic thing. I, I, I think it's a, a, you know, there's a lack of centralized economics to hire hire people. I mean, the people who are good at this stuff. I, I don't care what anybody says, Chris. Like. The, I, I mean, it. I can, I mean, I, in my view, man, like there's probably there, I can almost guarantee you there's people who are working, we're talking about the wolf advocates, so we'll stay on that subject. There's people who are high powered attorneys working for the wolf advocacy that do not give a rat's ass about wolves, but they right. are pros at right. doing, at working certain angles. They, that's every day. It's either they're working for the wolf guys or they're working for the next group, and they're the best at that. And you know, everybody in DC knows them. Everybody in the state, know, they you know they're pros at it. And you just have to pay them. They have to be paid. Uh, and, and I don't and that to me. That's probably the core problem. I, I might be wrong, but I would guess that's it. Okay, so while you're I, perfect because it, it it hits yes yes, and and here's and but here's the other but. Okay, I'm 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 looking up. You you, we talked about it before. We talked, and, and you just hit the the, the passion and the, the motivation. And well, I guess I I talked about it with Jim and Guy uh, about that, and we mentioned it on our podcast about that, where you have that us us sportsmen have this more more selfish in you know individual passion for what we do, and then the the activists have more of an out- outward expression, almost a, a collectivism you know, to where that, that their, their passion is externalized. Right. And that's how they, that's right, how they right. grow this cult following it. And this, this movement um, yeah. behind them. But the thing is you, you mentioned the money and how much money these guys raise. And I'm like the, just the millions of dollars that these people raise. Yeah. And oftentimes a lot of the money is coming from large ben- like benefactors that are, they're writing big checks. It's not like, yeah. you know, everybody sends them $10. Okay. They do have that. But a lot of times the money they're getting is from these massive donors and then they go to court, they win against the federal government and then they get all their, their attorney's fees paid. And so it's a, it, they, they either yeah, make yeah. money, they make money or they didn't have to spend a dime of their money. Yeah, And I yeah. hear this all know, the, go ahead. I'm sorry. What I was going to say, Chris, is I, I, I suspect this is, uh, a, you know, one of the sources of the issues because, you know, SEI, although they, in my mind, they only represent, or they represent actually just a, like a, a lot of Western hunters are not members of SEI. But if you look at, you know, what the the um, issues that SEI takes on, they'll be taking on issues that actually only, they only affect a very small segment of hunters. Like, right. I mean, the importation, right. the importation right. of elephant tusks, right. there, there's not that many guys importing elephant tusks. But when you look at those, you know, how much money and, and how well they they fight those, you can look at it and be like, dude, they're 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 high powered, you know, professional people taking this on. And it's it in my view, it's actually amazing 
what they're able to to do. You know, I mean, some of these things I don't even I don't have a real strong opinion on personally, but I, I still look at them like, oh, that's amazing that they're able to defend that for such a small segment of people. You and just so, nailed it, man. Go go ahead. No, that dude, that's perfect. Like, no, exactly. So because there's people who are upset, they're like, well, we don't have anybody out there doing any of this. I'm like, yeah, you do. Like, right. you just nailed it. Yeah, you do. But they're just not arguing your, like what you're talking about, like the wolf issue. And, yeah. and people are like, well, we, we don't have the money that they bit. Bullshit. We just had somebody in Utah buy the, the Arizona mule deer tag for $725,000. I just pulled up big horn sheep. You just nailed it, man. You just nailed it, man. <laughs> SEI will spend how much money and have the highest powered attorneys to go fight for what? Importation of elephant ivory? Importation of a lion trophy? Do you know how many, like the percentage of hunters that are going over to Africa to hunt lions? I bet it could right. fit on the tip of my little finger right here. But yeah, the, but, small, but the small segment. But the money that's getting pushed into that and, and the, the, the the attorneys that are getting hired for that, massive amounts of money. But meanwhile, here just from and, – and we were talking about before and what you said earlier on our, our previous uh, discussion where elk is – like elk hunting is massive as far yeah. as its impact on the landscape across the West. But sheep hunting, less so. You know, mule, I would say mule deer hunting is more than sheep hunting. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. So yeah, even, hunting, even even when you take, the, take into account that people are, you know, willing to pay way more to hunt sheep. Right. The impact. So of, yeah. So I, let's I, don't, I don't know the data, but I guarantee you elk are probably, they've got to be 20x any other species in terms of right. like the dollar market. And I'm talking about money spent on Gross. hunting tags, yeah. everything. Gross elk revenues. Are, elk are way bigger. Yeah, gross revenue around elk hunting has got to be way much, way more than than yeah. gross revenue spent on sheep. But let's just take a oh, look yeah. at this at the at the community. So if we go down through Hunt and Fool po, uh, published, so from the Western Sportsman's Expo or Western, yeah, whatever the whatever the what happened in Utah, the the Expo in Utah. Here's here's just the bighorn sheep tags, right? We go down through Wyoming Governor statewide tag number one went for one hundred eighty thousand dollars. This is bighorn sheep. New Mexico, Taos, Pueblo, you know, whatever. That was $260,000. British Columbia sheep tag, $270,000. This is for a single tag. New Mexico statewide, $280. Washington, $290. Idaho, $320. Montana, $320. Colorado, $320. Oregon, $370,000. Nebraska, $370,000. Alberta, $375,000. How many millions of dollars just got spent for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve? Utah was 255. 12, 13, four, less than less than 20 individual animals. Right. How many millions of dollars was just put in that pot? Don't tell me we don't have the money in our community. Right. Yeah, we do. Yo, oh, yeah. That's just bighorn sheep, let yeah. alone the, the mule deer. How many? We have people in our community that have deep freaking pockets. 
oh, that, yeah. went, that, that are willing to spend, and I'm not, listen to me, I am not trying to guilt trip any wealthy individual into any sort of societal morality that they need to, but no, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm just yeah. saying we do have big money players in our community. It is yeah, just I mean, that. Could... Go ahead. Yeah, I, was, I, I actually think there's a lot of, I mean, all the, you know, what I would call like uber wealthy hunters that I've dealt with and, you know, over the years of guiding or whatever. Um, I think, I don't think it's a lack of them wanting to spend the money on this stuff. I think it's them, them probably just not feeling like there's a great opportunity to give it to. I mean, people like that generally don't give their money just to anybody. You know what I mean? Like they want results. So, so I think just challenging. Yes. Yes. You know. Yes. Uh, yes. So this literally, so literally just had this conversation with, with a, with a guy that, that, is wanting to get into some another person that wants to get into some of this stuff of Colorado. We don't have a lack of people in our community that have money. I don't think we have, we don't have an organization that goes to bat for sportsmen on the, "Quote unquote average sportsman's level," and I and I I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Just hear me out. Sure. We don't have an organization that goes to bat in the courts on behalf of the average sportsman level that has the track record of has a vision, clearly identified goals. And then has the track record of success to make their money a worthwhile investment. That's the thing with activists. I think they. the thing is, is some of these activists have built up their size and their, the size and their influence because they had some people that believed in them early, gave them money. And when they gave them money, they went to the courts or they went to the the agencies and they actually moved the needle yeah. to where, where that investment, whoever that investor was, looked at their actions and were like, oh shit, I gave you, it's, it's a biblical freaking parable. I gave you these many talents. You went out and you grew that good, well done, right. good and faithful servant. Like I gave you a million dollars. And you went out and you actually shut down this thing that I didn't, you you did a good thing. Now I'm going to be a little bit, I'll give you $2 million later on because I, but because you right. did good with my money before. I don't know if we have that. I don't know if we have that organization. I don't know if we have that, that track record. What say you? Well, it, it's wild. Cause there's so many organizations, you know what I mean, Chris? Like, like there's a Rocky mountain. I mean, there's a bunch of organizations that, that in my experience seem to do very positive things. You know, there's a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. There's the the sheep your sheep foundations. I mean, wh why? What? I guess you've you've already hit on this, but I mean, why why don't one of them do it? Is it just that that's not really their stated goal, right? 
Well, I, I I think that's what I mean. That their mission statement is for yeah. conservation or or management or whatever or habitat yeah. or or education or you know their mission statement is X Y Z. And then some of them are a five hundred one c three, which means okay, they're going to be limited on you know maybe maybe not in courts what they can do, but maybe in politically arenas they are limit. You know, you've got the Sportsman's Alliance, but and and I yeah, like yeah. what they're doing, but man, it just seems like they're just getting it. Like it's and I'm and I. Anybody listen? I know a couple of them do. If the guys from Sportsman's Alliance, if you want to, if you want to have a conversation, come, come on. I've invited you. Anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I just feel like Sportsman's Alliance. Everything is the sky is falling. Like there's so many little tiny things everywhere that they're trying to fight every. Like I'm not saying that every little fire doesn't need to be stamped out. And and maybe they're the organization to do that. They're they're the ones that are into every little 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 thing. But like, where is the equivalent of Center for Biological Diversity on the sportsman side? Like, yeah, and they they like it, they like it, triage they triage the issues. Correct. And they're like, okay, like okay, next this one next year yeah. we're gonna hammer this one, get it done, we'll do the next thing. Right. You know. Yeah, you, yeah. I, I would love to say okay SCI, but I don't I don't see it. I like you said. I I mean I, well, SCI I, they focus they focus on certain things that, that but, they're consistent right, to, but know. but I don't see them here now. I, I there was no. you know at the at the commission hearing, uh, one of the the state chapter one of the state chapter people uh provided a two minute testimony, but like like what? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, well, see, so. And I could be totally wrong. So if there's somebody listening that knows the internal workings of SEI, I, I, they probably have a better, you know, better uh, knowledge base. But, you know, SEI is it, like how, you know, the what they represent in the hunting world is much more, at least in my experience, like, you know, guided hunting, a lot of international stuff, a lot of like pay to play type of hunting. And, and in some ways, maybe a lot of hunting outside of the North American wildlife management uh, yep. model. It's, I, you know, I, I think that's probably why Chris, like we're talking about, you know, the, it, like a kind of a different world. I get, I, I get. Again, I, I agree. I agree with you 100%. You know? and, and which brings me back to, it just doesn't seem like we have that right. representation on the, on the landscape at, at some point. Yeah. Before we're grasping for the last ten percent of of what we ever we all we've lost everything except this last little bastion of hope of of holding on to hunting. I would hope something rises. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I and I do think it's hopeful. Um, I it, it's it's weird, man. I feel I always feel a little bit like weird talk like talking about this subject because I mean I love the the intellectual, um, you know, discussion, like what makes sense to have, but like, I'm not doing it. And I don't, and honestly, I don't really, I don't really want to do it. You know, I'll be totally transparent. Like, I don't want that to be my life. So it's like, well, you know, somebody should step up and do it. (laughs) This is the answer. So, you know, I don't want it to chronically sound like that. I do. I do feel like there's the potential for that occur. I feel like you know, there's a lot of exposure, man, with these guys that are obsessed with this type of hunting. You got Rogan, you got Cam Haynes, you got Ranilla. You would think that like, hey, like this type of, I mean, I don't care what anybody says about hunting, like overall hunting may be slowing, like overall tags might be dropping or whatever they say. 
but I think Western, like this Western hunting stuff, the interest to me has got to be going up, you it, know? Uh, and, we're and so, yeah. so it's like, yeah, I don't know. Will, will something arise that, that takes on this challenge? I, I, I don't know, man, but I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful just because there's so many people that are, that seem to be getting into it. And there seems to be, I mean, maybe I'm just imagining this. There seems to be, you know, mainstream people that are getting into it. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. Um, yeah, 100%. So, I, I mean, I, I would hope that that would lead to, you know, mainstream influence on, on our side too. You know, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I, I, that's my hope. Yeah. What, uh, what, what, what what uh seismic segue were, were <laughs> did you want to um go? you know you know what i i had which was um i mean we talked about the science deal that i think i think was was interesting um you know uh one thing i had chris chris and it's i mean it's totally off off uh the subjects of what we've been talking about but uh it's not it's i guess it's probably maybe relevant to some of the viewers just because of the timing have you thought about like your personal like draw strategy in the future related to this over the counter stuff or the wolf thing. Have you really like strategize? I mean, from a personal perspective, you strategize about it at all? No. And, and I don't partly because I've never been a guy that plays multiple States already. States. Yeah. And so I've had a chance to go hunt New Mexico and I hunted Colorado at the same time. And then I had a chance to go hunt uh, Wyoming and I, hunting Colorado at the same time with what the way my life has been structured over these past, my adult years, time and money has, has limited me on what I can do and where I can go jump around and play. So I just kind of focus in one area. It has always been my primary focus of Colorado, but right. now we're getting, but like you said, now, now I'm getting to the point where it's like, okay. Yeah. What do I do? And, and your right. question, your question is just squarely in the wheelhouse of everyone. And, and I yeah, don't, cause I, and, cause I have the same deal, man. Like I'm very dependent on California or not California, <laughs> Colorado right. uh, for, for elk hunting opportunity. You know what I mean? And, it, right. and actually an interview I did a week ago or so um, the guys interviewed and mentioned it like, you know, having one or two points, three or four points or whatever for elk in Colorado is all, it may all of a sudden be like a totally different deal and very important, you know? Um, and, and I, and I agree with that. However, it is, it will, it not just turn into the moose issue where in a, sh a few short years, everyone has yeah. a few points right. to where, Point. I mean, this is what point creep is all about. Like there's more demand than there is supply. And so it just keeps going and going and going and everybody. And this is, I agree with you. Like I, I, I hear you. I mean, but what I, well, I, it's going to get like point. elk are basically for sure. Elk are going to get rationed in Colorado. hundred percent. But I don't, <laughs> right, so, but I don't so. think it's going to end up being, I don't think it's going to be end, end up. Be, I, again, I hope I'm, I'm wrong, but I I'm fearful that it's not going to be like my conversation with Aaron Snyder. You know, he's like, I would hunt every other year if I knew that it was going to be a really kick-ass hunt. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's fine. But I don't think it's going to be an every other year thing. I think it's going to end up getting to the point where it's like a four five, six year cycle. Like yeah, yeah. I, the demand is going to be, if, if Colorado, again, I hope I'm freaking wrong, but yeah. if Colorado's elk population is being, regulated by wolves 
and hunting is nothing more than eh we'll 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 dole out a, a couple token tags to to allow recreation that's wildly different especially yeah. when we're talking about states like okay Wyoming the 9010 New Mexico has a very restrictive type of of uh draw system so, I mean, Arizona at least gives you uh, an, an inkling of hope by there's a, a chunk of random, but the yeah. odds of getting that random are, are slim. Like, so I think the dominoes across the West are just going to fall. You know, you yeah. and I and I hate saying this because Utah offers the, the over-the-counter spike bull tags. I have a feeling very quickly those things are going to be oversubscribed and it's going to be sure. unwieldy. And I think Utah is going to shut them down. I don't think they're going to be able to weather the onslaught of that that generosity of being able to go for other people to go and play in their state. And, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I'm I'm dude, I'm worried about it. I, yeah, I'm yeah, worried no, about I, it. I yeah, I hear you. I mean, me me personally in the interim, I'm kind of in the mindset. Well, I need to you know, keep hunting elk, but I need to make sure I, you know, keep, keep a couple points too, just, you know, in the, in the short term, I guess, or however this thing right. rides out that just to be able to hunt, you know, it brings up a, a another question though, man. And, and I think it's a good question for you because you've been in like this education space with elk hunting in particular. And you know what I noticed, Chris, like even in my lifetime as an elk hunter, like when I was a kid, my dad, outfitted a bit in that eagle area when i was a little kid too but as i grew up like you know you would go out archery hunting and you could in a couple years you would start to progress up the learning curve just because you got you got a fair amount of exposure you know what i mean and then i've noticed the last like four or five years even in colorado without the wolf thing more and more like newcomers to elk hunting like they can at least hunt in Colorado every year and they can start to go up the learning curve, but it's a lot slower already just because the, the, you know, much less opportunity, you know, I mean, the reality is if a guy's spending, you know, two weeks in September hunting over the counter elk in Colorado, the average guy may only interact with elk during that two weeks time five times you know if it's a phenomenal hunt you know really? nowadays i was just yeah or, yeah or maybe none at all like right. you might one day whatever so, so so what i'm saying is like this learning curve gets gets just like stretched out and i wonder like what it will look like in 10 years if there is a huge reduction in elk hunting in colorado like the learning curve to be you know to becoming a better elk hunter is going to be crazy stretched out unless, unless you got a lot of money to spend, you know, like an insane amount of money when, to spend. When you, okay. Do me a favor. Qual clarify when you say stretched out, because I almost see it as the learning curve has been because of, of education, mind notwithstanding, almost compressed. Oh yeah. 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 So like, we're talking about two different things. So okay. the fact that there's the fact that there's so much more information out there, you know, obviously compresses the learning curve, but there's still there's still like the practical in the field component of it that I mean, I mean, even though I have, you know, hundreds of YouTube videos out there that try to help people, I'm still believe that people have to interact with elk 
to get up right. the learning curve. You know what I mean? Okay. So that's yes. my concern is like, what is that component of it going to look like where, you know, it takes a, just your experience with wildlife is going to be so reduced. Like, I, I just wonder what it looks like in the next 10 years. And I wonder if it'll be, I, I wonder what it'll do to just overall Western hunting participation, because if it's just too much of a grind for people, how much do you get just people drop off, you know? Well, and, and to, let's snowball on that one uh, in a humorous way. Some people have said, you know, for me, they're like, Chris, why are you complaining? Because my calling, my calling philosophy, um, some of the guys that some of the, some of the people that have gone through my stuff that hunt in the wolf areas of Idaho, wolf areas of Wyoming, wolf areas of Montana, et cetera, have said, you know, roll hunting resources philosophy is what makes us successful. Well, it works pretty, it works pretty well. Because, the, because these are silent elk that, that don't bugle, they're smaller, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're you have to be very strategic and very subdued and let them, you know, just, so my philosophy of calling is wildly different than what is popular these days. And to where people are like, Chris, your stuff is going to be way more important in Colorado in the few years. So shut your mouth and, and just, you know, basically yeah, enjoy the spoils of, you know, Oh, great. You know, we're going to have wolves. Now you're going to need my, you know, need my stuff. Well, that's funny. You can say that, but, but part of that is what to tie into what you were talking about is we're, we got wolves are going to come on the landscape, but also you've got this compressed learning my what i was getting my, the compressed education where you can get a hell of a lot of information and be well on your way of how, of knowing what to do and how to do it on the landscape before you ever step foot on the ground sure. but to your point you still need to understand how your mountain or your rain your your ridge or your valley or your area you need to know how it works you need to know how the cycle, the weather cycles affect it. You need to know how the vegetation affects it. You need to know how the elk move in and in and out of there, and and how and all the the hunter pressure. In some ways, it seems like all of the technological and education advances that we have at our disposal. I mean, it's 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 the it's not. I mean, it's literally how it's 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 incredibly to me how pure this concept is. It is still a predator-prey relationship. The smarter the predator gets, the smarter the prey gets, and the prey sure. adjusts. And then the predator has to adjust to the new adjustment of the prey, and then the prey adjusts to the new adjustment of the predator that adjusted to the prey. That it's like it's this dance back and forth, and yeah. the popularity of this aggressive style hunting, which is is grown across the West now, has fundamentally changed how elk engage in many areas engage other elk, how they engage the landscape, how, when, and where they move and how that, you know, all this is going to be interesting to see what happens this in the future, because we're going to, what I'm worried about. And I'm just, my mind's just going here. We talk about having, you know, you're only going to hunt one to two years. Well, every, every one or two years, and then you'll have a high, a higher quality hunt because you know, yeah. from a, from a, a draw standpoint, well, there's, there's going to be less people on the landscape. Maybe. But the problem when you do that, and I know this from my, when I drew my unit one tag, I burned 12 points. 
you know, there's a pressure there. Like, and I see it all the time down in unit nine, Arizona. Like you spend 20 years putting in for a tag. Uh, I like, I want a freaking help, man. Like yeah, sure. I want, yeah. I, I, I just spent 20 years. I want a big ass elk. I want it screaming in my face. I want the Primo's truth video in front yeah. of me or, you know, Steve Chappell's sure. extreme bulls. I want it in my face right now. That's what I bought. That's what I've right. paid for. That's what I put in for. Right. There's becomes this level of desperation. And I see it even on some of the lower uh, preference point units as well, to where I've, I burned these many points. I've got to make this happen. Like this is a, this is a once every other, yeah, this yeah. once every four year opportunity. So I'm not going to squander. I've got to, where it increases the intensity level and the urgency and almost quote unquote panic yeah, on yeah. behalf of the hunter to where they're engaging on the landscape in a manner that's actually actually decreasing the likelihood of their success. Does that make sense? Sure. They're shooting themselves in a the foot. So I look at all this and I'm like, what's the long-term play? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, because we can change one component and we can adjust, but the animals are not static. To, right. and to to our discussion, our our original discussion uh, the other day, where and and I'm getting more of these comments coming in now. Where no, when wolves moved into some areas, those elk moved out of the public land mountain areas, went straight down into the big valleys, the wide open landscapes of the big cattle ranches or the big big landowners of farm country, or they went right into the subdivisions. They left. Right. They fundamentally left. The forest service areas and that actually had access for hunting. So now it gets to the point where it's like, okay, well, does it even matter that we limit non-resident hunters or we limit the number of tags on a particular area? Like, are we going to ret retrograde backwards to where we need, like, I don't know how this plays out because yeah, yeah, sure. we can yeah. limit the number of hunters on the landscape because we don't want to impact the elk resource or deer or whatever negatively too. But if the wolves come in and they just take the elk out of the, the pocket of where we can even engage them. Dude, like now, yeah, like yeah. now what? Like I, dude, I don't know. I really don't know how this plays out. I don't know. And that's, yeah. I mean, me, I, I mean, part of me, I do, man. I, I'm, I, I, I sit and I look around me and I'm just, I, I, I'm reminiscing on the memories and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so grateful that, yeah, just down the road from Mintern, Mintern, public land over the counter unit. Here's a 341 bull, had a phenomenal hunt. And just, I mean, like, I look back on, I look at LDs and I'm like, is that, is that, are those, are like, is that over? Like, yeah. well, it's, it, like, it, it's like the one species that you could just, I mean, everybody for the last, I mean, and still right now, you know, it, yeah, sure. Elk hunting has declined a little bit in Colorado or a lot, however you want to look at it. But, you know, every year a guy can go and it's a species that he can focus on and he can, he can progressively get better at. I think that's why, I mean, I think that's why people get, you know, so obsessed with elk hunting, but there's not a lot of, I mean, all the other species, yeah, mule deer, you can do it. You're going to have to do a couple of different states, but there's not a lot of species you can do that, you right. know? 
A guy's right. only going to, you know, a guy might, you know, maybe if he gets lucky, he might get to go on a big horn hunt one time in his life. You know, there's not a lot of other right. species where a guy can just slowly progress and he can make it, you know, a lifelong, uh, you know, endeavor at getting better at it, you know, right. and, and, it, it, in the West, in the way, cause, cause the yeah, white, yeah, yeah. the, the white tail oh, hunters yeah. do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Turkey hunters do it. You know, you, you tell yep. you, you go from that line of, of Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, New Mexico, that line West, yep. wildly different. You yeah. know what I mean? So sure. the people that that are passionate about whitetails, that's, that's one thing in, in turkeys, but you're right in the, in the Western public lands hunting elk is that animal that it, it is that animal where I can go year after year and play the game and get better. And then I might be able to go to that state and that state and that state and play the game sure. and I can get better and better and better. And, yeah, maybe that'll. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't change real, real rapidly. I, but, but we already, maybe, you know, but, but but we already see the dominoes in Colorado just from hunter pressure, like hunter yeah, engagement. Yeah. We already seen the over the counter units just fall like dominoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that's gonna have to have a ripple effect into Utah and Montana and Oregon and maybe even still Idaho, like other places where it quote unquote used to be somewhat reasonable to get a non-resident tag. Yeah. And, but, but then again, but then again, maybe that's what's going to end up happening to where it, it finds a new equilibrium across all Western States to where, you know, some, some States are elevated in the fact that they're very, very easy to, to get into and hunt. Some States are very, very, difficult to get into and then there's a lot of those media you know medium maybe what it does is just kind of equals out to where the easy states are less easy but those states where there was some reasonable ability to get into it well maybe that becomes a little bit more difficult but it just kind of starts to even itself out across the i don't i don't know i i yeah again, it's, it's a dynamic system that is always changing to where and the other flip side is, is it's all going to be dependent on what our federal public land habitat looks like. If our yeah, habitats sure. continue to progress into more climax communities and they are less net productive for wildlife production on the landscape, it doesn't matter if you've got elk, if you've got wolves or not, your, your productivity of your game species is lower, which means your opportunities as a hunter are going to be lower. Like, I, I, I could see, I would love to see in this, we talked, we chatted about this last time. I would love to see a new culture of, and it would have to be within the forest service. And I am, you nailed it as far as what you said about your incentives for the forest or the federal public land agencies. I don't see the incentive there right now, but if there were, could ever be this, this, this change. And I don't think you're going to find commercial logging being successful or, you know, yeah, that's the problem. The problem is like, yeah, I, that's the angle that I want to work in Colorado is be like, well, what it, what it, like, are we going to get habitat work on, on the, in the, you know, on the wilderness or in the forest? Probably not. But are you going to get logging? You know, in my experience in, in BEC, it's like, yeah, I mean, logging, it's not perfect, but it's brought a bunch of habitat back. But the trees in BC are worth money. The trees in Colorado aren't worth not. money. That's so right. it's like, so that's not, not really a, that's yep. not a plausible option really. You know? Right. But, but this is where, and, and again, I don't know if this is a plausible option because I mean, hell, not everybody's got, you know, a wood fireplace and not that you want to burn pine anyway, 
But I mean, yeah. you know, can you go in and, and make it easier for, you know, firewood cutting or, you know, you go into, say the forest service opens up a chunk of, of real estate and says, we need, this area has a problem with fir tree encroachment in Aspen stands. So we need people to go in and cut out fir trees, have at it. Yeah. I think you could find local chapters of Elk Foundation. I mean, look at look at what Arizona does. Arizona Elk Society, great organization as far as putting money on the ground in Arizona for elk, use either from water or from a habitat standpoint. And what do they do? They actually have chainsaw crews that they go and cross-train with the Forest Service to get trained up on how to properly run a, a chainsaw and, and fell trees and be a part of a, a chainsaw crew. And then that air, their volunteers can go out and do some of this chainsaw work on the federal ground. Why can't we like, we just need, we would need people to get engaged in, in energetic and developing a relationship with certain national forests to say, listen, we know you got a problem over here with Aspen stand, you know, issues or, you know, fir tree encroachment here, blah, blah, blah. We'll go get trained. We'll get, we'll meet your standard. We'll go pass a test and we'll, we'll demonstrate to you that we meet your standard as an organization. We're going to organize ourselves and get insurance to where we can indemnify you from anything that we do. You can, we can work with you as far as a blanket EIS or whatever, that we're not going to develop. We're going to impact any, uh, any sort of, uh, cultural blah, 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 blah. But can we streamline the ability for a citizenry to like almost, and quite honestly, if you were a fan, of, if you like the history, you probably remember the old CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps, back in the, the yeah. post-World War II era. That's how my grandfather got hired on as a game warden. That's how, I mean, that's literally my impetus or my, my influence in getting into this world where the Civilian Conservation Corps put all those soldiers to work on federal projects, infrastructure type projects, and paid them and, and let them get, help them get back on their feet after the war. And it was a federal program. I'm not a great fan of federal programs, but can we do a privatized version of the Civilian Conservation Corps where we work with federal agencies and say, we'll put together local chapters of Elk Foundation, we'll send a, a group of volunteers to get certified for chainsaws, certified for this or that, whatever. And then we will go and we'll, we'll, we'll organize the work party. And for this amount of time, we'll go up in these areas and we'll do what you want. We'll stack the stuff in brush piles. We will provide a benefit on the landscape in conjunction with the Forest Service, what they want to do. Here's the problem. That's going to that's gonna require in some of these areas that have now been designated as quote unquote roadless areas. It's going to yeah. require the, the, the development and or temporary use of two track roads. Right. Which then backcountry hunters and anglers just going to turn right around and sue the Forest Service, say, no, you can't do that. That's going to be roadless and we can't have roads in there. But so we so yeah. we're going to have sportsmen's organizations fighting sportsmen's organizations to, to right. try to do, like we have got at some point. Get our shit straight. Like, like what, <laughs> like, what are we out there for? You know what I mean? Like, we know everybody oh, out yeah, there yeah. right now is I, we're out there because we want to kill an elk. Okay. At some point, like the whitetail world, I made this case to Aaron when I talked about the, the, the public land welfare babies. And I'm still going to have that finish that conversation with Aaron. But the, yeah. the bottom line is, if you look at the culture of what happened in the whitetail world, you've got the national deer, what used to be the quality deer management association. 
knowing that state that state agencies manage the wildlife, but the the private citizen manage the habitat. The the education component of the whitetail world shifted to teaching whitetail enthusiasts how to do better, be better stewards of herd management and habitat management. And now there's right. a there's a billion plus dollar industry of habitat improvement stuff in the whitetail world. I don't see why I know that the land ownership is different, but I think we could take that model and have a growing community of those people that are more focused on habitat stuff where maybe you don't get to elk hunt every year, but maybe every year you could be going out and putting in water guzzlers. Maybe every year you can be going up there and doing habitat improvement projects. Maybe every year you could be doing something on the landscape to where when you do go back there and hunt, you're like, I killed a freaking big ass bull right in the middle of that habitat improvement pro- that I did. And by the way, our elk, our elk numbers are up because the objection because the the herd objectives were allowed to increase because the productivity of the land increased. Right. This, everybody wants to complain that, that that Chris Rowe is negative and and it, everything's doom and gloom. I there's a portion <laughs> that's doom and gloom. But this is where I see the optimism. I see the optimism in a completely different mechanism, in a completely different direction. The question is, is how we get there. I don't know. Yeah, and you're just talking about just over, just increasing the overall opportunity by increasing the carrying capacity of things. I know. I I totally. I totally it's, see where you're coming. That's, the, that's really the. That's the main. That's the only way to be real positive about it. Um, even outside of the wolf thing, Chris, just you know, just the increase of development and everything else, you know, that, that has to be a component of it. If we actually want there to be more opportunity for folks, it's, so it's I, the, I get where you're coming from. It's the only way we can, we can maintain the likelihood of our existence at some semblance of what we're dealing with now sure. into the future. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Well, well, you had a list. I know you had, you had a couple things. What else, what other, what other things did you have written down? Yeah, you know, honestly, Chris, we covered we covered most of the stuff that I uh, um, that I had written down. You know, the uh, um, trying to think. You know, we didn't talk about the the moose situation on the last one, really. Um, I don't know that there's a ton a ton to say on that. You know, uh, that's, that's 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 this circle right here. Oh, uh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I no- mean, what. Well, I guess what I have to say about it is it's, Go for it. a, it's just a bit of a bummer to me because the the elk one, it's like all the things we've talked about. I don't know how long it's going to take for, you know, for things to change drastically. I don't know how they're going to change or is there going to be like a bunch of interim, you know, things that go on. But uh, the moose, the moose one is, uh, I guess it's more profound in my mind because I saw like in my area, man, I saw moose go from like hardly ever seeing them to, you know, having a pretty robust population getting open to hunting just, just last year or two years ago, it got open finally. Um, and those and people who have drawn that tag have, you know, they'll have a, a crazy good hunt. Um, so it's cool to see that, but it's like, Oh, I just know that I know that, I can't argue. It's hard to be positive on that one because they're going to get wiped out, you know. But well, and and that's exactly it. And for me, I take it in the direction of again, you know, what we talked about, low hanging fruit. Uh, 
again, this is going to take a creative attorney and somebody who knows the law and knows how to play that game in the courts. But yeah, I started thinking about it more. I'm like, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. Some of these newer populations that are growing, they're isolated. They're, they're largely isolated. Yeah. Like, are, I mean, I, I, I think the population that I'm talking about, I think there's 30 cows in it. Okay. You know, total. Is, is there a, a strong likelihood of a lot of immigration, emigration from other moose populations in and out of some of these areas? Yeah, I don't think, some, I don't think it's huge. Right, problem. right. So some of these areas, no. Like, if you, you find that there's more and more moose showing up in Minturn. Uh, it, and and up in up in the Holy Cross Wilderness area, yeah. like those yeah. aren't dispersing from North Park. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and they're it, not crossing. They're not crossing the highway and the game fence to the flat top. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I look at these isolated uh, populations. They're self-sustaining. They're they're a viable population, but they're sure. vulnerable. Yep. I look at it from a standpoint of: Is there a creative argument? Again, we're going, and I'm. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to the wolf thing, and I'm going to go back to what's going on in Colorado night, right now. Let's go back. I, I would love someone. I would love to see. Let's go back the history of the of the moose management and introduction and management in in Colorado. Yeah. How many millions of dollars were spent on that? Yeah, sure. And remember. For for those that are listening, to this remember that we got two different scales here. We've got the general, the Pittman Robertson funds, your general hunting license, fishing license, you know, ammunition, blah blah blah. But your general base level sportsman contribution to the state agency, right? But if you remember, a lot of the money that's being generated to go on the ground for actual translocations, introductions of critters into new areas is paid for by the auction and raffle funds. Those right. funds generated by auctioning off a moose tag or, or raffling off those moose tags, because that money that is spent on those raffle tags and auction, auction tags can only be used for projects that impact that, that suite of, of animals. So, you're talking about a double layer here of sportsman involvement. You've got the base level sportsman involvement on the on the agency and everything, but you also have the additional investment that sportsmen have contributed to this, to the tunes of at this point it's got to be tens of millions of dollars. I've got to I've right. got to believe that have sportsmen are directly directly responsible for the introduction and translocation and development of moose populations across the state, which have grown done well. And are now a significant watchable wildlife resource for the citizens of the state of Colorado. You go right. up, if you look, and I would love to see if there was any sort of, of public opinion survey regarding this. But when you go up, whether it's 285 or whether it's I-70 or whether you, you, in the fall, September, when the when the leaves are just incredible, all the people that are driving up the mountains to, to go leaf peep and, and take pictures of the scenery and everything else, a moose steps out into that meadow, oh, and yeah. your you you your interstate highway becomes a parking lot. Instantly. Yeah, there's Every, people that, there's people that come to a dead stop on Highway 70 to look at a moose. 
Absolute everything comes to a standstill. Yeah. North Park North Park I and I don't remember the statistics, but I do remember that North Park saw an increase in tourism in recreation up there when the moose started to get to a population where people could drive Highway yeah. 14 or whatever and go see moose, you know what I mean? Sure. So it's it's now become a a significant economic resource for the people of the state of Colorado that were paid directly by sportsmen. Okay? Right. How is there no nexus there? How is there no standing there in a legal sense for sportsmen to say, no, state of Colorado, you're not going to go this egregious with this wolf plan without some some, some way of, of managing wolf populations because we do not want you to whether it's mismanagement, whether it's squandering, whether you are, you are, we've expended tens of millions of dollars to put this resource on the landscape. And now you're going through negligence. I would argue negligence. You're going to come in and you're going to remove that resource from the people of Colorado and you're going to waste our money. There's got, there's got to be a legal, there's got to be some thread that somebody can grab onto. Yeah, you know, and I, and I don't know, Chris. Like, I I don't know uh, if there is or not. I the, the thing, and we could get into a long conversation about this. And this is always the issue with wildlife and the current model that we all prescribe to here in the U.S. And that's that. I don't know the answer to your question. If there's, you know, a way, <laughs> I don't, either. I don't a way, know. But but here's the deal: is I know it's I know that there's no property rights really involved. If there were some sort of property rights involved, it would be the the answer would be for sure. Like it's just a an American, you know, a very American American tenant, and it's throughout our court system. It's throughout just how everything's set up is property rights. But with wildlife, we've chosen to view it a very different way. And I think what sportsmen has done have done. It's like the analogy I would use is we all rented a house and we spent millions of dollars to fix it up. And then we expected our land, we expected our landlord not to take it and live in it themselves. Right. That's what we did with wildlife. We, we basically without gaining, without gaining any property rights that I know of, yeah, 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 no, no, no control over what we were building. Um, we, we, we spent a lot of effort and a ton of money to do that, but we never got, and maybe property rights, not the word, but I think I, everybody understands what I'm Equity. saying. Yeah. We don't have, we don't have ownership of that asset that we built up. And as far as I understand the wildlife, I mean, if, if somebody wants to feed a moose to the, to the wolf, they have just as much ownership over the moose as a hunter does, or, you know, generations of hunters do. So, um, so, and so it, it's a fundamental problem, but, but go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, no, no. You great. No, great point, brother. This is why I enjoy these conversations, man. Cause you bring a different perspective to it. Um, so the, the question then is maybe it's not, maybe it, because of that, it, it maybe there's a, an attorney that could find a, um, uh, a thread that they could pull on from a legal standpoint. And I would really, really love to, to yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, but 
you very well may be right. And I think your analogy was, was on point. Um, maybe it's not a, a trial that's played out in front of a court and a judge. Maybe it's a trial that's played out in public opinion. Like, yeah. yeah. And I think that's this valid. Is a ballot, well, you know, I, another ballot well, initiative. You're like, Hey, damn it. You know, from the public standpoint, um, do you like to go watch your moose? Do you enjoy right. what you've done? Like, this is what we did. Yeah. We brought the moose to you. We we love our moose and the moose are doing great. And now these jackasses want to do X, Y, Z. Are you still on board with that? Like, that's where that maybe needs to get played out with yeah, is yeah. it the court of public opinion. No, no, I think, and I think that's a good way to approach it. But the other, I guess the bigger question is, and you brought up like the auction tags and, you know, other other ways that sportsmen's dollars flow in to uh, management. The question is, is like, in the future, is there any way that sportsmen can say, hey, look, like we're going to, you know, introduce more big sheep or moose or introduce whatever species and, and do habitat work, but we're not going to allow these dollars to go into a system where we don't retain some control over future scenarios where it could potentially all be blown away by somebody else who has other interests. They want to feed them to wolves or they want to feed them to grit, you know, grizzly. Like, I mean, maybe that's they want to, that's massive. Bears again. That, like, that's, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, that that's that dude. That's That's a, that's a phenomenal idea. That's a massive idea that has not been a part of the North American model of wildlife conservation, but goodness gracious, you look back on it now and you're like, Oh crap. What, should it have been, could it have been, and what would have been if it had? Like, no, that's a doubt. Yeah. You, know, you, you see these people. Okay. So, for instance, I'm just snowballing off of that. You, you all these people that want to have this, um, um, that are supporting and wish their states would have a, a right to hunt sort of legislation put into whether it's their state constitution or just whether it's codified in sort in state law where they have a right to hunt. Man, what you just suggested would be another thing for a, a body of legislators. Like, how that wouldn't yeah. be a bad one to codify and say, listen, okay. And you could even, and this is the other thing too, because it might be good to have that separation. We know what the Pittman Robertson money does, that's its own ball of wax. But what we've got a subset of moose tags, sheep tags, elk tags, deer tags, blah, blah, goat tags, whatever that are going into this separate pot of money. And that that separate pot of money has been generously put on the landscape with no assurances. Maybe we right. need to take that pot of money now and put some semblance of an assurance to it to where you say, this, we are investing this money into this resource on this landscape. And we, we, and we expect a, I don't know how you write it, but there's certain, there's a certain level of, Oh man, I don't even know what you what you would call it. There's a certain level of equity that we we retain within this that must be protected. Yeah, yeah, I, right. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you that's know, that's a phenomenal uh, idea, man. It's I mean, there's idea. this this kind of stuff is done through like uh, um, you know conservation easement trusts and stuff. They manage those that you know they they make sure that certain things aren't done to the property. You know, why why could it not a similar structure be done with you know, uh, wildlife programs that were funded by hunters. I mean, I know if I was an individual and this is just me speaking from my own brain, I don't imply that other people should do this, but 
if I was an individual that spent millions of dollars on personal hunting every year, you know, and I was buying auction tags, I would not buy an auction tag. You know, after this wolf thing, I would I would make it clear that I am not going to buy an auction tag in any area that it's not defined to me that that money is not going to just be blown where these animals are going to be fed to predators. It just it didn't make any sense. And that may mean that I only buy them in certain states because it's very clear to me that they're not going to allow that, I, you know, or whatever. And I don't, and it's weird because I think some hunters would be like, that's kind of, it seems like, seems like kind of a stick in the mud approach to it. But I, I just, I, I don't think, I think it's, I think you're being intellectually dishonest, dishonest. If you're saying like, dude, people are investing in these projects. So there's a huntable population. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's not, right. you can't, you can't be dishonest and say like, oh, well, I'm paying 500 grand for a sheep tag. Uh, it's obviously not just for the sheep tag. It's to support a mission. And part of that mission is so that in the future, there's a huntable population that, I mean, you're, you can't, at this point, you have but, to be honest. Okay. So, and this is where I go to. So, you know, and my wife, I, I, again, this is, yeah. this is for an attorney. Could could someone who knows what the sh- what they're talking about is it? Couldn't you? Could 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 you make? Is there not an implied contract? Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think there is or or a contract based on performance. Like I I, I don't yeah. know. I I don't know. Oh oh oh! I think if you know going forward, Chris, I think somebody could for sure do this. Would, would you get a bunch of like political? You you know, would you get a bunch of fighting? Yeah, for sure. You're going to get a bunch of, you know, from these type of advocacy groups that are like, well, you, you know, you can't, you know, sure. you can't change, you know, you can't change that. But people can always say, well, we're not going to give you, we're not going to do these wildlife, pro- we're not going to do this habitat project, or we're not going to do, you know, I'm not going to yeah. give you a million dollars to transplant sheep in this area. We're just not going to do it. Nobody's going to get the wildlife if you if you think that I'm just going to blow my money so you can do whatever you want with it in the future. Well, and and to your point, the precedent a, a precedent somewhat a, a minor one is already in existence in Colorado because when the habitat stamp was marketed and w- it passed through legislation and part of the debate going through that process of getting the habitat stamp approved in law was the fact that no, the habitat stamp would not be used solely to go purchase ground or get, because uh, there were some people that were saying, oh, we're going to go purchase this ground. And then people are like, why are you going to spend fee title when you could just get a conservation easement on it and spread yeah. that money out? Like, let's be fiduciary, like responsible. Yeah, be, yeah, be efficient with it. So, sure. so there was massive debate. Um, but there were some that wanted that habitat stamp simply to go to preserve, put a put a, a, a regulatory box around sagebrush habitat for sage grouse or whatever, and then all met all 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 activity off of it. it. This is a preservationist standpoint where no impact by the hand of man, and that met massive pushback, and it didn't pass. It it only passed because they carved out and said you have to spend some of this money on hunting related access habitat improvement right like it's it's you're forcing sportsmen to purchase it therefore 
in order to get sportsman buy-in, there needs to be some tangible equity in that. What what did yeah, the yeah. sportsman buy? So that yeah. precedent that you're outlining right now already exists in a in a sense within the habitat stand. So it can't you can't say that that's a stretch. I like your idea, brother. Man, that is a that's no. Yeah, I'm be- I'm looking at it going. Can we reach back in time and grab it and use it? I don't know, but yeah. damn sure in the future. Should states, especially I, whether Colorado gets it through now, I don't know. But should right. other states be looking ahead going, oh, shit, no. Yeah, we if we're going to be the drivers of this now. <laughs> if we're going to be the drivers of this, we need to get we need to have some semblance of assurances. But again, this is where we're going to have to be smart because it's the law of unintended consequences. Don't expect that there's not going to be some semblance. All right, fine. Then we'll replace your economic in, in input with some other non-consumptive values. Yeah, yeah. And that that's you know that could be a challenge for sure because they might be like, oh well, we don't want your money. Well, and that's what, maybe. And that's what the wolf advocates in Colorado are like right now. They're like, we don't give a yeah. shit. We'll find the yeah, money yeah. through private foundations and donations and everything. And I and I believe they will. I believe yeah. you will find some of these these very very rich animal activists, uh, families, trusts, that type of stuff. They'll put an endowment in place where it's going to be basically a, a pot of money that the interest off. They'll they'll create some sort of endowment to where it'll help fund. So I, I sure, believe sure. that they'll find the money. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It but you're right that enforcement. Yeah, that could be a potential issue. But uh, you know, other places, you know, that you know, getting some a little bit more control over game species is probably a good thing to do for people. 100%. And I guess I'll leave you with my last thought on it, Chris. And um, I know you're, I know you're short on time, but my last thought on it is I kind of look at like the North American uh, wildlife management model. And when I read it, like in its kind of like original structure, I think like, well, why didn't they, you know, why didn't they put something like that in there? And then I think to myself, you know why they didn't put that in there is I think they just assumed they just assumed that there would always the majority of people would always be a consumption component would always be an important part. That was like a given. It was an obvious thing. We didn't need to say that we didn't need to say that the people spending the money own the wildlife. We didn't need to say that. Because that you know you know there's there's also kind of like a negative connotation around privatization of wildlife that's that at that time was very you know touchy so I can see why they didn't say it but it was assumed that of course we're doing this so we can all you know be Benefit. you know use the resource yeah so, that's um, that's the that's the entire reason why it was was put in place it needed right. to rein in unchecked consumption. Right. It, it needed right. to limit the consumption. So it it was, I don't think they ever thought about, oh, no, no, society is going to go the other way to where you're not allowed to consume. Yeah, you're not allowed. Nobody's that allowed to consume it. That wasn't. Yeah, that was, I don't even think that was even in the, I mean, I think right. if you sat there and you were in the room and you said that, they'd be like, what are you talking about? We, right. <laughs> we, 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 a parallel with the Second Amendment. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. the, the founding fathers you know, put it out very, very clearly, but you know, there were some of the things I wish they would, I wish they would have added, but yeah, but yeah. the time yeah. that it's like, what are you talking about? Like, no. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, no, it's yep. a, it's a solid point, man. But yeah. Uh, anyways, Chris, I better, I better let you go, man. 
I, I'm looking. Yeah, so my wife's texted me twice. So no, I appreciate it. I mean, I could keep going, but I, I think this is a good stopping point. Um, again, we still haven't even gotten down to your your fishing because we there were some things we <laughs> talk about with that. It's so all right, man. We're, we'll, we're, we're good. We'll table that one. But no, again, I appreciate your time, brother. Um, are you still? Are you going to continue to do stuff for Jay on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I, I'll, I'll probably. I've been working on a few other things, but I'm sure here in you know, the next few weeks, I'll get a couple more podcasts out for him. Um, I might, you know, I might do like the two episodes we did here, Chris. I might actually combine them and talk to Jay and try to try to get like kind of one together, one big one. So I'll put that on there too. So right, um, right. But yeah, man. Cool. Yeah. So as as always, like we talked about last time, you've got your YouTube channel, Pursuit with Cliff. Yep. Yeah, my YouTube is just under my name, Cliff. Oh, Gray, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, but, your, your but my website. website's my website's Pursuit with Cliff, and I got a newsletter on there people can sign up for, and then. On Instagram, Cliff G R Y, probably yes. the best way to follow me. But on YouTube, it's Cliff Gray G R A Y. Yep. Okay, that's the that's the distinction there. So if, yeah, YouTube has the full last name. Instagram just drop the A out of there. So yeah, cool man. I appreciate your time. I hope I hope everybody goes over, gives you some clicks and likes and follows because you got some good stuff, especially on your YouTube Thank channel, you. man. And and same thing with your Instagram stuff. Um, and you've got some good conversations over there on J Scott Outdoors podcast. So keep it up, man. And I'm, let's. Do, I mean, I I want to. I, I I think I'm gonna keep this in the kitty of you know the little off the cliff series. Well, I'll we'll just have to keep. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the and tap into this well every now and then and just get your different perspective because I enjoy. You've made some great points tonight and pushed back on my thoughts a couple times and, and it. it I think it helps move this this conversation in more constructive direction. So we'll be doing this more if you're up for it. Cool, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, get back out there. Catch some more lobsters. Catch some more fish. Post it. <laughs> I'll live vicariously through you and uh, give your kids a hug for us. All right. Will do, man. Thanks. All right. See ya.